the battle is back. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host, and Sean Carey Tattoo, your co-host. We're going to be talking UFC Belfast, Musasi vs. Hall, the rematch, and UFC Sao Paulo, Thomas Almeida vs. Albert Morales. Uh, apparently, they said Ryan Bader vs. Noguera was in the main event, but I mean, we already saw that fight at UFC 119, so we're going to just act like... Uh, Tomas Almeida versus Albert Morales is the main event. And then we're also gonna throw in a little a little surprise uh Michael Chandler versus Benson Henderson talk and uh Sean Carey, how's it going, man? Pretty good, man. We got thirty one bettable fights this weekend and it I mean, unless you have no self respect and you're counting Invicta, then there's even more, but we don't do that. So thirty one bettable fights, not bad. Well you got the first part, right? No self-respect, but that's not going to stop us from breaking down this card. <laughs> and first up in the lightweight division, we got Magomed Mustafaev. He's minus 120. The comeback on Kevin, the Motown phenom Lee, is plus 100. I love the matchmaking here, Sean. I mean, you know, with, with Magomed Mustafaev, you know, he's one of these Russians, but he's not, he doesn't have a Sambo background. He's more of a power puncher. He's probably a master of sport in boxing. I mean, you stand and bang with this guy long enough. and uh, Do you actually know what that means? It what me- does that mean? <laughs> it means that he can throw some hands. I'll tell you that much. And uh, no, I mean, like, do you do you go in front of like a board and you box in front of them and they go, oh, you passed, and they give you a degree? Like, I don't. What does that really mean? I've never t- taken the time to look it up. What is a master of sports? I have no fucking you know? idea, but I just know it sounds damn good. And the Russians that have it, those are the Russians I like to bet on, Sean. I'm gonna go look that shit up. I might do it right now. <laughs> Let us know what it means, man. But, I mean, he's a master of sport in boxing. I mean, he can knock dudes out. He can also kick dudes in the body really damn hard, as you saw in his last fight. And when he has been taken down in the past, I mean, he attacks for arm bars. He works his way back up to his feet. So, he's pretty damn well-rounded. I mean, Kevin Lee, dude, I mean, he's got a freakish reach for the weight class. I mean, he's got a 78-inch reach. That's like a, what a light heavyweight has. And, uh... You know, Kevin's solid all around. He's got decent boxing when he decides to use it. He can take fights to the ground as well. Biggest issue with Kevin, in my opinion, is, you know, he's a cool guy, but he's a bit of a head case, man. You know, like after that Leo Santos fight, to me what happened was he threw a rear uppercut without setting it up, and he got caught with a straight right. But to him, you know, it was an early stoppage and this and that. I'm like, you know, why don't you just uh, take it on the chin, admit that he caught you, and move on. You know, I don't like the excuses and stuff like that, Sean. Going into this fight, he's saying stuff like, you know, Magomed doesn't have anything for me. So I don't know if he's overlooking him or if he's just trying to sell the fight. But, uh, man, I'm feeling uh, the Russian here, man. I got to go with Magomed Mustafaev, even though I got a lot of respect for Kevin Lee. And he is the veteran here. You know, this is his 10th UFC fight. Maybe he can have one of those veteran performances. But I think something about the the tenacity of the Russian is going to prevail here. You know, a master of sport, it was established in 1935. So it's really old, like USSR shit. And it's like you get kind of a degree over four years in a sport. So like my joke about going in front of a board and you pass the test, that seems kind of true, which is really strange. You think they dump it. It started in the 30s. What are you doing? Anyway, um, now you now you know, right? <laughs> Thank you. Now if somebody asks you, you can tell them. Um, Kevin Lee kind of... There's something uh, he 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 thinks too much of himself. Is that is that maybe what it is? Like I don't understand what he hasn't really achieved much, honestly. But I can't really say, hey, you have no 
you know, you don't have that talent. Like the guy looks like his upside is, is pretty up. Like he does have a lot of skills. He's got some defense problems and, and the striking is kind of rudimentary, but the wrestling's not bad. The cardio, you know, a little spotty here and there, but he's young. Uh, you know, he, he could make something of himself, but like you said, I think he is a bit of a head case. He thinks too much of himself. He wants to skip ahead and fight this guy and fight that guy. But, you know, you got stopped by Santos, and I guess your best win is Jake Matthews. I don't you know, not quite there yet, but talented guy. Uh, talented guy fighting uh, mediocre Medoff we'll go with for, for this particular Medoff. <laughs> I think he's like 15 and think, one, but he's mediocre Medoff, right? Yeah, he's the, he's the mediocre Medoff. He, he's never really shown me anything that makes me, you know, think he's a master of sport and being a Medoff. He's kind of, <laughs> kind of mediocre. Um, this is a tough fight because you don't really know which Kevin Lee will show up. I think that Kevin Lee could put on his usual grinding performance and, and get out of the way of danger and, and uh, you know, rack up some points and maybe win two out of the three rounds. But, you know, as we've seen him, he gets hit and he gets hurt. And it's not just that he's shook. It's that it kind of sucks the fight out of him too. And that, that could definitely happen here. Um, you know, this is a pass for me, but if I had to pick somebody, it would be Lee, but I wouldn't advise betting on Lee even at that line because, uh, you know, he needs to put two or three more under his belt and, and look like he's got his shit together. In the flyweight division, we got Kyoji Horaguchi. He's minus 220. The comeback on Ali Bagautinov is plus 180. This is a tough one for me to call, Sean. I mean, they're both total badasses with Kyoji. He kind of has a little bit of that karate style going on. He darts back and forth, you know, side to side. When it's time for him to blitz, he will blitz you hard. And, I mean, he can wrestle too. And with Ali Bagautinov, you know, another master of sport. I mean, this one I think it's master of sport and Sambo. And uh, obviously, Whoa. he can take you down on the ground. But in his last fight, man, I mean, they call him the puncher king for a reason. But, I mean, they could call him the kicker king, too. Because the way he was kicking Gian Herrera in the body, I mean, you cringe when you see that body shot. And, uh, man, both these guys are coming off dominating victories. You know, they both whooped uh, Neil Siri and Gian Herrera, respectively. So now it's about how are the styles going to clash. And, man, I can see this one being a three-round war. I honestly don't know who I favor here, Sean, because, I mean, it's about the implementation of their styles. So, to me, you know, may the best man win. I'll go with uh, Bagotinov because he's the underdog here, but no bet because I have so much respect for Horiguchi. I really don't know who's the fresher guy because they both look spectacular in their last uh, appearances, man. So, what do you think? I definitely like Horiguchi here. I, I think, you know, Bagotinov's fundamentals are strong. He, he's got a power punch game. He tries to hit you. Sometimes he throws in combination, but later in the fight it turns into one at a time. Uh, his his wrestling and his grind game is definitely strong. Um, but you know what you're getting out of him. You know you, you, when you're fighting him, you know what he's going to do. And when he when he swings big, he misses big. You know what I mean? Like if he hits you, you might be in trouble. But when he misses, ooh, plenty of time to hit him back. Um, what we're really dealing with here is, is Horiguchi. The wrestling isn't as good, but it's not terrible. If you can stop yourself from getting smothered by Mighty Mouse, then you can stop yourself from getting smothered by Bagotinov, I think. Um, well, did he stop himself Hor- from getting smothered by Mighty Mouse? I mean, yes. Not, like, not in the end, but going into that fight, I had the assumption that eventually 
uh, Horiguchi would, you know, be down and not get back up. And, and, and that happened for periods of time, but a lot of times he was okay. He fought out of the clinch. You know what I mean? Like he put up a, he accounted for himself well in that fight. Um, he's only gotten better since then. He's another young guy. He's got a, he, he's still on the way up for sure. The, the thing that I like here is for sure the speed, because there's a big ass speed difference. Um, I like that explosiveness and I, I like the trickiness. I like the uh, unorthodox things he does. I, I like not knowing what's going to come out of him next. It, it could be a jump knee from looking like it's too far away to hit you, but it's definitely close enough to hit you. His in and out game is what's going to win this fight. I think he stays out of trouble, keeps his back off the cage for most of it. When he does get taken down, I think he pops right back up and he's able to outpoint Bagotin off, uh, counter him hard when Bagotinov misses. Um, you know, and, and Bagotinov's been around for a while, pissed hot, like, you know, it, it, the end is not, too, you know, he's a flyweight. The, the end is not too far away. We, we've definitely got, um, you know, the future versus the past here, even though one is not the future yet and one is not the past yet. That, that's the way that these two guys are going. I like Horiguchi on, on speed, uh, points, footwork, Horiguchi. I feel you, man, but, you know, I don't think that this is the end of the road for Bagotinov at all because, I mean, he looked phenomenal his last fight. You know, in the Joseph Benavidez fight, even though that was, it was a very close fight and Benavidez, you know, is the number two guy on planet Earth, but, you know, both of them look kind of old in that fight and I was like, you know, may, maybe this is it for him, but then he comes out there against Gian Herrera and absolutely whooped his ass. He mopped the floor with him. I mean, obviously, Kyoto. And what would, what, would Hor- what would Horiguchi do to Herrera? Oh, yeah, I agree. He would whoop his ass, too. Yeah. But now it's Kyoji yeah. versus Ali, and uh, man, I mean, I've never really seen anyone besides DJ beat uh, Ali to the punch, and conversely with uh, Kyoji, so it's going to be interesting. You know, to me, it's kind of like, I don't know how, how one could have a strong opinion of this fight, but then again, if it plays out the way you're saying, I'll understand where you're coming from, but for me, they're both just such badasses, it's kind of hard for me to pick a winner here. Yeah. Too many weapons. Too many weapons. Too many different things. You know what I mean? His defense is good, too. He's going to stay out of trouble. He's going to win on points. Fair enough, and best of luck to you. You taking a, You betting on this one? I am, but I was going to wait until the other half of the uh, the other half of the parlay popped up, and then I'll read it off. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Next up in the middleweight division, we got Magnus Seidenblatt. He's minus two fifty five. The comeback on Jack Marshman is plus two fifteen. Now, Magnus got a little nice game going on, man. I mean, he's got that tall man game. Obviously, the tall man game comes with its uh, flaws as well. You know, when when you hit a tall man hard it looks really damn bad, you know what I mean, uh, Sean? But uh, yeah. But this man's game, I mean, he can grind you, but he can also pick you apart on the feet. You know, his last fight was a knockout. He, You know, I know it was against, uh, what's the name of that job? Uh, against Gareth McClellan, but uh, you know, so what? He also beat Askham, and he finished Christoph Jocko. Now, that's not the Jocko we see today, but he still uh, had a hand in his first loss. You know, those are some good opponents, man. With Jack Marshman, you know, he is the former Cage Warriors champion, but... The way the styles match up, it's interesting because Jack is one of these uh, short, stocky dudes that loves to throw big bombs. But hey, man, he's found a way to get it done. He kind of reminds me of an orthodox Kelvin Gastelum, you know? Kind of short and pudgy for the weight class, but finds a way to do it, man. It's a matter of if, you know, can Magnus keep that distance, keep that range? And if he does get up close, can he grind 
Jack Marshman. Based on the film, I think he can, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Jack caught him either. Jack's last couple fights, he's been knocking dudes out. You know, he's a young kid. I gotta go with Seedenblad here, but you know, don't be surprised if an upset occurs either. Yeah, with with 31 fights, I had to dig in some uh, because I planned on betting them. And, and the ones that I looked at right away and I was like, ooh, I'm not touching this one, I didn't go too far. So Marshman, I think I watched two fights out of Marshman. Uh, I didn't see anything particularly great out of him. Uh, Seedenblad has always been somebody... I think you've already seen the ceiling for Seedenblad. Uh, you know, the, the height, it, he utilizes the height pretty well. He does have a bit of tall man defense going on, but the grind is, he looks like a strong dude. You know what I mean? Like the grind is pretty good. Um, you know, you want to say the sub game is good, but it's always, it's always kind of like a, against the, an okay guy or a, or an untested guy, even at Jocko at that point, like, did you think much of Jocko at that time? That's like you said, it's not the same guy as, as today. So, you know, I, I is just a, a, a guy who's going to be middle of the road, probably forever. Um, if Marshman can, can swing and hit him hard, he could probably get him out of there. But I think more likely is Seedenblad cage pushes him, uh, drags him to the ground a couple times, gets on top and wins probably two rounds that way. If not all three. Um, but like you said, Marshman lands a KO, I, I wouldn't be terribly surprised. But I don't think either one of these two guys is going much of anywhere. Would you recommend parlaying Seedenblad here? No, I would not. I would not because I, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't recommend doing anything with Seedenblad unless you've got Gareth McClellan on the other side of it. <laughs> you know, I mean, that one felt okay, and I did bet that one. Um, him against anybody else is... I don't know. You're just taking a swing, really, for no reason. There's 31 fights. Don't don't settle on Magnus Seedenblad. Keep looking. In the flyweight division, we will keep looking because we got Ian Uncle Creepy McCall. He's minus 340. The comeback on Neil Siri is plus 280. Now, Sean, I heard you have an opinion on this fight, man. Oh yes, I love this fight. I love this fight. There's two, there's there's two breakdowns for this fight. Okay, the the first breakdown is you break down one guy against the other guy just skill wise. Like so Ian McCall's better. The wrestling is definitely better. Um, maybe even the the striking is better as far as uh, what he does. You know, leg kicks, other kinds of kicks, decent hands, decent footwork. Um. Siri is just a gritty, gritty, and you know, Ian McCall's sure as shit gritty too. Uh, Siri is, is super gritty, and I'm telling you, his hands are better than Ian McCall's hands. His overall striking probably isn't better than Ian McCall's. His wrestling definitely is better. Um, and, you know, Siri makes some fight IQ mistakes that, that I don't like. Um, yeah, so skill-wise, with no context involved, if I was going to break down this fight, I would say that uh, Ian McCall is going to win. But there's a whole lot of context here, a whole lot of context here. Ian McCall, n- no no secret to anybody who follows the sport, he's real old and, and real broken down, older than his age, older than Neil Siri's age. Um, he's been around forever. Uh, he's constantly injured. Um you know, there's so many that his shoulder, his hip, his back, his hand, you know what I'm saying? It's always something new. His life, uh, drugs, 
people around him dying drugs. He lives with his parents. He lives with his grandparents. He's got a, you know, like a, a daughter, somebody around him is disabled. I forget who's disabled. He's just got a fucking lot on his plate. He's been talking retirement for how long years, right? Talking retirement for like what? Three years, maybe, maybe more. Um, we've seen the best out of Ian McCall. Ian McCall is still a, still a skilled guy, but it's, it's over. It's over for him. He needs to retire. Uh, he hasn't retired. The biggest thing about this particular fight is this guy peaked twice already. He trained for a fight. He got right up to the doorstep of the fight. Scoggins, no, no fight. Back down. He peaks for a fight. He trains. He gets all the way up to the fight with, uh, what's his face there? Jiu-Jitsu guy. Help me. Help. Ray Borg? Help me. Ray Borg gets all the way up for, for peaks for Ray Borg, gets ready. Ray Borg is sick. No fight. Now, again, training, peaking, getting ready for a fight. A guy who's always injured, can you not get injured in three back-to-back camps with no fight? Where's the breaks come? What's the, what is the, the protocol for getting ready for a fight over and over and over again and not having a fight? What does that do to you mentally? How many old injuries did you aggravate? Um, this fight, there's been a little bit of shit talk going back and forth where they want, you know, to have a fight of the night type fight. They want to have a, a throwdown, a high paced, let's go at it brawl. Um, that kind of fight favors Siri. If Ian McCall wanted to come out and wrestle and go, oh, no, 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 I need to win this fight. Let me come out and wrestle. If he wanted to do that, he could do that, and he could probably win this fight pretty easy. I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to go to Ireland. I think he's going to hear that Irish crowd. I think he's going to get psyched up. I think he's broken down coming into this fight, and he wants to brawl. On the other hand, you've got Siri. Siri, contextually, is doing exactly what you want a guy to do. He's going, wow, this game is passing me by. You know, I've, I've done some good things. I think I've probably hit the ceiling. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call out Ian McCall. We're going to have a great fight in front of my hometown fans, and then win or lose afterwards, I'm going to retire. This guy is retiring on his own terms. He's not waiting till he's Ian McCall. He's doing it first. And with that Irish crowd behind him, He's going to come out and want to brawl. Ian McCall is going to fall into that, and they're going to brawl. And if we're talking a striking match, a brawl, I favor, uh, I, I favor Neil Siri at this point. I, I like his hands better. I like his chin a little bit better. I like his toughness a little bit better. And this is going to be a close fight. I think it's going to go to decision in front of the Irish fans. I, I like one guy who's going to obviously leave it all on the table. There's no other way that he's not going to leave it on the table. He's not going to come out and be careful. He wants to come out and go to war. And the other guy who's like, I don't know. I, I want to do something else besides fight. I want to grow weed or I want to sell weed. I want to do this. I want to have a podcast. He wants to do something else besides fight. This is a big deal for one guy. And I don't know how the fuck Ian McCall's up for this. It's He's already gotten up. This is the third time of getting up. He, he, come on. And it, what was it when it came out? Was it, was it 365 or 325? At plus 325? Are you kidding me? This could be a close fight. If it goes to the cards, you've got the Irish people going nuts. It could easily swing series way. It could easily swing series way without that crowd involved. So that's what I like. I like Neil Siri. I put two units at him at, at plus 325 to win uh, 6.5 
that's a solid bet. I'm not sure where the line is at anymore now, but that's a solid bet just contextually, just contextually. I got to think that Ian McCall is not going to show up great and that he's hurt and that Neil Siri is just going to give it one last hurrah and, and try his hardest. I hope this stays on the feet and doesn't turn into a wrestling match because that's money out the window if it's wrestling time. But I like Siri. I like it standing up. I like him to win a decision. Swinging for the fences, eh? I like it, man. And, I mean, both these guys are such badasses. I mean, Ian McCall, one of the pioneers of the flyweight division. Neil Siri, I mean, he's he's an Irish bar brawler coming off serious ass whoopings. The only difference is that Ian McCall's against Lineker was, you know, back before USADA, back before the Reebok deal. It's been a long time since we've seen Ian McCall fight. With Neil, you know, he, he got his uh, his butt whooped by Horiguchi, but he took that ass whooping like a man and hung in there for sure. He always He always fights back. He always tries to fight. To me, it just comes down to where this fight takes place. You know, if it's a brawl, Neil Siri's got a great chance. If this, if this is a wrestling match, obviously you got to favor McCall. But man, I mean, I spoke to McCall recently. I've been listening to a lot of his interviews, and I mean, the dude, uh, he doesn't try to hide the fact that he's banged up, and you know, he's had enough. He's been fighting since 2002. You know, back in, uh, you know, in Mexico, you could soccer kick dudes and. Yeah, he's banged up. And I like what you said about how, you know, Siri's going out on his own terms, whereas McCall could have already gone out, you know, but he's choosing to stay here. We're going to talk about stuff like this when we talk about Chandler versus Benson. But, you know, just like, you know, remember when Chuck Liddell had that decision versus Wanderley Silva? And then you remember when he lost that split decision to Keith Jardine? You know, two guys that he, yeah. he would have knocked out cold in his prime. The Wanderley Silva fight was fight of the year, but to Chuck's standards back when he used to knock dudes out in the first round, you know, he would have knocked Wanderley out back in the day. But, yeah, so what I'm trying to say here, Sean, is that before they start getting knocked out every single fight, you have to see those first couple of performances where they start to decline a little bit. And this could be that spot for uh, for Ian. And then they start losing the guys that they normally wouldn't lose to. I mean, like Chuck getting knocked out by Rich Franklin, that would have never happened in this prime. So... Yeah, it goes from those first couple performances where they lose those close decisions, and then they just start getting knocked out every single fight. So uh, yeah, Siri, you know, Siri could also do the the thing that will make me throw my remote control across the room, which is somehow engage in his own wrestling with McCall. You know what I mean? He has the thing about doing that. Like, hey, I'm winning this part. Let me switch to a part that I'll obviously lose. We don't we don't want him to do that. that I, I don't happen. see him doing that to be honest with you. The only thing I fucking hope not. No, he's not going to do that. What I'd be worried about is him being put on his back and him not being able to get up. That that's what I'm worried about. Uh, that can happen too. The thing that I'm looking to overpower that is that that place is going to be fucking loud. You know what I mean? And I just feel like Ian McCall is the kind of guy who's going to go, ooh, this is going to be fun. Let's go. You know what I mean? And Siri's thinking, oh, please let this motherfucker brawl with me. So, if you, you know, listeners, like, if you can get Siri at plus 250, just throw a unit on it. You know what I mean? Like, this is a this is a good contextual bet. This is the one where if you bet this situation five times, you'll win three, in my opinion. Uh, you know, Daniel, this is the kind of pick that, that got me my high school nickname. Oh, yeah. What's your high school nickname, Sean? Faggot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Plenty, plenty, plenty of units. Plenty of units on, on Siri. It's a good spot, I'm telling you. Fade McCall here against anybody. After, the, after this third trip to a fight, he's finally going to get the fight. He's, 
he's got to be just let down by every time. He's got to be looking to get out. And now he's got a real tough guy who does not want to let him get out. It's a good spot. I might have to do it, man. I mean, you know, do it. You know I love these underdogs, so, I mean, it's do just... Do it, and uh, if you lose, just blame me. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, the thing here is, will Ian be able to hold him down? Because, I mean, last time Ian fought in Ireland against Brad Pickett, but that was a long time ago. That was before USADA, before Reebok. That's back when he was somewhat in his prime. Now he's way past that, so I'm not convinced he can move around like that anymore. But what if he can? That's what I'm saying. Like, if it... If, if this comes in and Ian McCall looks good, we're going to lose. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, I, I have nothing supporting the idea that McCall will look good. I have everything supporting the, the idea that he won't. You know what I mean? Like, this guy is an open book. He's not running around saying, this is the best I've ever felt. He's honestly saying the opposite. You know what I mean? They listen to his podcast. All he talks about is how horrible shit is for him. <laughs> it's just... It's okay. We believe you. You know, good luck. It's not It's not a good look. Next up, we got Teruto Ishihara. He's minus 250, and Artem Lobov is plus 210. Now, uh, you know, Ishihara, I mean, he's a lot of fun to watch, man. He's a nice knockout artist, and basically it's, uh, you know, he'll either knock you out in the first round or two, or he'll gas out a little bit. I mean, you recall his UFC debut against Mizuto Hirota, man. I mean, he dropped yeah, him like four, like four times in that first round and then gassed out hard the next two rounds. So, I mean, is he going to get Artem out of there? It's kind of hard to get Artem out of there. I mean, I have seen him get TKO'd, but it was via ground and pound, you know, against Mike Wilkinson back in the day. But most of the guys that beat him, you know, they grapple him. The thing with Artem is he comes with that heat for the first four minutes. But after the first four minutes, he kind of falls apart a little bit. Another thing, you know, when I think about Teruto Ishihara's fights, you know, in his last one, I bet the under one and a half because in Teruto's wins, he has an over 75% hit rate for the under one and a half. But man, Artem's really durable. So it's a matter, are you going to blind bet the under one and a half because it is plus money because of that percentage? Or is this one of those situations where it's like, look, even though Artem's a 500 fighter, it's very tough to knock him out, Sean. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. Here's the thing about Ishihara. Like, <clears throat> I understand stances on Ishihara. Like, oh, this guy's fun. He hits hard, obviously. But what's really, you know what I'm saying? It seems like there's only a matter of time before he gets stomped out by a good dude, right? Like, he's climbing the ladder. Like, he's going to run into a hard fucking ceiling soon. Somebody's just going to take him down and pulverize the shit out of him. That's, that's kind of true at this point, and you can't really debate around that. That's, that looks like it's going to happen. But here's things about Ishihara that, that people don't pay attention to because they're caught up in the excitement. The motherfucker's sneaky. Like, he has a plan. I don't know if he has a plan B, but his plan A is pretty good. Like, he wants you to follow him, and his step back and swing at you is really pretty slick. Like, he does step back at the right angle and hit you from a, a weird side that you didn't quite see, and he's pretty accurate with it, even though it's not a straight punch or not the most technical-looking thing. Like, he's got a game plan. Like, he, he's got a thing that he wants to do to you. And uh, Artem, you know, uh, Artem's shitty. He, he is. Like, he's, he's not good. Like, he's trying that, that flowy Conor McGregor kind of style. He wants to do those kinds of things but his head doesn't move at all. I think that he's, 
I think that he's McGregor's like punching bag in the gym. I think that's caught up to him. Like he probably gets his ass kicked constantly. Oh yeah. Um, Not just at the gym, even in the warm up room before Connor's about to walk out. Like I heard some stories because Eddie Alvarez, when he fought Cerrone, that was the same night that Poirier fought Connor. So Connor and Eddie were warming up in the same room. And Eddie said that Connor just beat the fuck out of Artem. (laughs) So I doubt that's the first time. Yeah, I, I can I can completely believe that. And this guy, you know, he would have been cut long ago if not for that connection. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's shown me nothing, really. Like, he really does walk at you with his hands down, uh, wanting you to trade with him. The problem is, is that most guys do that to bait you, do that to bait you into something because they've got that counter ready. This fucking guy ain't baiting you in the shit. He's like, let's go face first. Oh, you hit me. Oh, you hit me a thousand fucking times. I'm obviously going to lose this fight. Like he's, he's not good. And now he's fighting somebody who, who is baiting him. And this guy is not going to, he's not going to all of a sudden be sneaky. He's not going to all of a sudden go, Oh no, I'm a different guy now. No, he's, he's going to do Artem things. He's going to come forward and, and he wants to slug it out. And this is obviously the wrong guy to slug it out with. So Ishihara's uh, ceiling is coming soon. But this guy is tailor-made. This is, they want an exciting fight. They're going to get one. They're going to trade. And Ishihara is going to land first. And he's going to land harder. Um, and, and chin comparison, I'll tell you what. We, we found out in Hirota fight that that dude is durable as well. You know what I'm saying? And there's something about him. He's obviously psychotic. Uh, if you ever watch him talk, he believes in himself. Guys like that don't just fade away and disappear. He's thinking, all I got to do is hit you once. And he's two rounds in the bucket getting the shit knocked out of him, and he's still thinking the same thing. All I got to do is hit you once. You know what I mean? We've seen Lobov just be stunned out there and just be like, I don't know what to do. It's not, you know what I'm saying? He's, there's no depth there. Uh, I like Ishihara. I, I like him by knockout. But the under... I'm right on the fence with that because I think they could miss each other a lot until something finally lands. So I left that alone, but I did put Ishihara with Horiguchi that paid even money. I put 1.5 units on that to win 1.5 units. I'm glad you brought up that step back. He does man. Cause that's an absolutely beautiful technique. And obviously he is thinking when he does it because he's done it more than once. Yeah. It's one of his go-tos. Yeah, it's not a mistake. Yeah. And that last it's one not, against that uh, two and three jobber that he knocked out, I mean, that was a beautiful example of that. And that kid, even though he's got a shitty record, you know, he, he knocked out Polo Reyes, you know? The guy that uh, Toronto yeah. just knocked out, that kid knocked out Polo Reyes. So, I mean, uh, yeah, don't be fooled by that record. That dude can stand up too. And, yeah, Tarun knew exactly yeah. what he was doing. But now it's going to be Ar- interesting, man, because Artem can counter too. It's true, but Ar- Artem is exactly that level of guy, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like, he is the kind of guy who's going to fall for exactly what Ishihara wants to do. You know what I'm saying? That's not making Ishihara great. That's just making sort of a replay of, of his, the fights that he's won. He's, he's going to step back and he's going to land a bomb, and Artem is there for it. He, he's going to eat one. Can he eat him for three? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, in my opinion, Artem's best chance is in the first four minutes. Yes. And that's 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 us guessing that that Ishihara can't take it. You know what I mean? He can take it. He can take it. I think Ishihara's good here. 
Next up, in the heavyweight division, we got Timothy Johnson. He's minus 145, and Alexander Volkov is plus 125. Now, I was actually kind of surprised when the UFC signed Alexander Volkov. You know, you remember him from Bellator. You know, he's basically, he's six foot seven. He looks like Alexander Gustafsson, but he doesn't fight like Gustafsson at all, man. I mean, look, if you stand and bang with this guy for too long, you know, you can eat a nice head kick, go to sleep. You know, he can knock you out for sure. But the way to beat him has been exposed more than once. You got to take this dude down to the ground. Because when you take him down, you know, maybe you struggle on that first takedown. But once you finally get him down, he's not getting back up. You know what I mean, Sean? So, I mean, you know, Tim Johnson, he's a D2 wrestler off the top of my head. Might even be D1, but I'm pretty sure it's D2. And uh, look, man, I mean, he has to have a disciplined fight here. You know, if he tries to stand and bank, he could win. You know, he's he's got a shot there. But he puts the odds in his corner if he takes his fight to the ground. And I think he will, man. He's a smart dude. He has been out a while, but, I mean, the guys he's fought in the UFC are all legit. You know, he beat Marcin Tibora. You know, he beat uh, Shamil Abdurahimov. And, uh, you know, he fought tough with Jared Roshal, who's a tough guy to look good against. So I'm going with Tim Johnson, but, uh, you know, it's all about the game plan here, man. He's got he's to gotta fight smart. Every time that I see Volkov's name pop up, I get a little excited because I instantly, for a second, confuse him with Minikoff, who's the <laughs> guy who kind of interests me. You know what I mean? I'm like, ooh, they signed him? Oh, not that one. Fucking Volkov. Oh, yuck. You know, the one thing that he has going for him is that I love tall guys who like the clinch because over the years, uh, Gustafson is a good example. I think the tall guys who like the clinch can hit you with knees uh, – harder and and more unexpectedly than guys with other frames and and Volkov can can do that kind of thing I always feel like that's super dangerous um especially when if that guy if that tall guy likes that and the tall guy is usually somebody you want to get close to so he doesn't have his tall weapons uh and he's waiting on the clinch then you're falling right into that um but you know, there's nothing special about Volkov. Not like there's anything special about, uh, you know, Timmy Big Dick. But I don't. You know, I am not a believer in, in Volkov. I've I've seen him fold up and and not look good. His cardio isn't great either. Uh, Timothy Johnson looks like his best attribute attribute is is toughness, and he's got probably better than average cardio for a heavyweight and a, and a guy who's built like him maybe it's an illusion because he's kind of a fat guy and you're waiting for him to gas out and then he doesn't but got a pretty decent gas tank got some grit wants to win the fight i think that's enough to probably get it done here i don't i don't know if he gets constant takedowns on volkov but i bet you he stays engaged with him and and pins him against the fence and 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 sucks up whatever volkov deals out not to mention he could tag volkov uh because you know, Volkov, again, with that tall guy defense, his head's not really moving. It's just floating there in the same spot all the time. Um, I like Timmy Johnson here, too. But, uh, you know, don't be too surprised if Volkov keeps some distance and, and puts two rounds in the bank before he gets hammered in the third round. Um, pass, but I'll, I'll pick Timmy Johnson. The co-main event of the evening, lightweight division. We got Ross, the real deal, Pearson. He's minus 125. The comeback on Stevie Ray is plus 105. Now, this one's going to be fun while it lasts, man. I mean, these two are going to come to stand and bang. Obviously, with Ross Pearson, you know, one of the most experienced guys in the UFC lightweight division. But also, uh, towards the end of his career, man, you know, his last six fights, he's arguably on a six-fight losing streak, Sean. And also, 
I don't know if you recall his last fight, but I was there, uh, you know, against Jorge Masvidal. And man, Jorge dropped him in the second round. And at the end of that round, Ross Pearson, you know, he puts his hands up in the air as if he won the fight. He goes up to George and gives him a hug. And you know what I mean? Acted like the fight was over. Jorge was like, uh, dude, uh, we still got one more round to go. You know what I mean? That That's how deep in the game Ross Pearson is, you know? And he said, look, I'm going to take a lot of time off because... He had two fights in the same month. He fought Will Brooks and Masvidal that same month of July. And now he's coming back already. That's not enough time off in my opinion, Sean. You know, that's coming back too soon, man. With Stevie Ray, you know, his last fight, it was quite uncharacteristic of him. You know, he did get grinded out for three rounds by Alain Patrick. And, you know, at first I thought, you know, maybe just Stevie just had an off night. Maybe he was sick because I've seen him grapple before. And he's one of, you know, he can he can totally grapple fine, man. I... I but then I watched it again, and it's just credit to Patrick, man. He was the stronger, more athletic guy, and he had the perfect game plan that night. Ross Pearson's not about to take down Stevie Ray for three straight rounds. These two are going to stand and bang. Stevie Ray's a southpaw. It's always harder to deal, to deal with these southpaws. And it's even tougher to deal with a southpaw when you're an aging competitor and you're not as fast as you used to be. You're slowing down. You get rocked in spots that you didn't used to get rocked in anymore. All of a sudden, you're not as durable as you used to be. You know, you use a lot of head movement to close that distance, but once you start, uh, you know, getting caught by shots on the way in, then you start to get discouraged, and then you start to not throw as much, and then you get outpointed, and you either lose by third round TKO or by unanimous decision. I got Stevie Ray. The Scott will prevail. I got one unit at plus 105, Sean. You know, when this line first came out, I was like, oh, that's a bet. You know, this fight's made. Yep, I know what I'm doing here. And I went and looked, and, you know, Ross Pearson has got to be at the end of the road. Like, we've been saying that he's been at the end of the road for a while. And what he does is he digs down and he toughs it out and he puts together a decent performance and he relies on his strong points, which is his boxing. Um, you know, and he's pretty good at it. He's, he's pretty decent at it. He's not easily dissuaded from that game plan. You know what I mean? Like, he's not a guy to fold up 10. Um, he is a guy to stand there and take a fucking ass whooping, though. Sometimes he's just, he looks lost out there. And, and when somebody's really got him outgunned and outclassed, like, he feels, it, it feels to me like he's, he knows it. You know what I mean? Like, it, you know, and, it, and he, in the face of that, he goes, fuck it, let's fight anyway, and just goes forward. And you got to like him for that. He's, he's got skills. Um, Stevie Ray, I was, uh, you know, at first I was like, Ooh, I don't, I don't believe in these guys. I don't believe in the Euro prospect really. Um, there's not a ton of them that have gotten to the point where they're confirmed good. You know, something always happens along the way. Uh, the wrestling always gets exposed. Um, but after watching Stevie Ray a couple of times, he looks like he's a little different. He looks like he's a little special. His hands are, are faster. He's got some killer instincts on him. He wants to be able to finish you, and he's, excuse me, he's a decent finisher. Um, and the wrestling looked ab above that really questionable Euro level uh, until that last fight. And I'm waiting for an excuse about that last fight, and there doesn't seem to be one, which, great, if you don't, you know, if there isn't one, there isn't one, or if there is one and you're not telling us, good for you, but he looked terrible. Uh, not only did he, he get wrestled easily, he got hit a lot and he got hurt 
and he got you know by by single like big wild pot shots you know he's so uh concerned about the takedown he just forgot to do other things um so I went from, okay, I got to bet this one to backing off completely and, and leaving it alone. And I'll tell you why it's because Ross Pearson uh, versus Stevie Ray standing up. I think that Pearson probably could get off on him, and it's probably going to be a little closer than we think. But the weird thing is, is that I think Pearson can take down Stevie Ray. I think he can do that same thing to him and confuse him and hit him and then go for a takedown and get Stevie Ray thinking. And then, kind of some of the same things that happened in Patrick happen again. He's, he's worried about what's coming next and he doesn't stop the right thing. And he loses rounds that way. Um, I think that we we've seen Ross Pearson go for, for clinch uh, clinches, clinch takedowns, cage push and, and just normal takedowns out in the middle of the octagon before. Uh, and when you don't expect him to, you kind of forget that it happened, but it, it is something that he does. So, Stevie Ray has to watch out for that. I think that Stevie Ray wins this. I think him being uh, not quite at home, but almost at home makes a big difference to him. If I have to make a pick, it'll be Stevie Ray, but for a bet, I'm going to pass. The main event of the evening, Gegard Mousasi is minus 600, Uriah Hall's plus 450. As you recall, they fought once before. Musasi won the first round. He dominated him with the grappling. Even though there was that close armbar that Uriah Hall did have, but aside from that, he did get dominated in the first round. Then out of nowhere in the second round, Uriah Hall spin kicks and knocks him out, throws a flying knee, subsequent ground and pound, stop the fight. Can he do it again, Sean? You know, it's funny because in this spot, you know, it's one of those things where after it happened the first time, people are saying, Oh, but nine times out of ten, Gegard Mousasi would win. Well, they don't fight ten times. But this time, they're actually fighting again, so maybe we can use that argument. You know, are we going to start saying that nine times out of ten he'd win? Because if that's the case, he better win this time, Sean. Yeah, and you know what? I think that was, that was a different Musashi than, than it'll pop up this time. Um, he's obviously found something. Uh, I don't know what's changed in him, but but around the latest fight, you were like, oh, this is obvious. There's something different about them. Now it's confirmed. There's something different. The way he talks is different. The way he acts is different. The way he fights is different. Um, he's got to get one back here. I'm sure that he's kind of a, a cold kind of guy who's not thinking, ooh, it's revenge time. He's probably not thinking that at all. He's probably thinking his weird Musasi robot thoughts that he always thinks. But um, I think if there's – I, I think – you like you said, nine out of ten times Musashi wins that fight. Obviously, the Lightning will not strike twice. That's as crazy of a fucking fluke thing that's ever going to happen. I don't see a fluke thing like that happening again. Uh, Hall just got knocked out, and now he's got this fight a short notice for five rounds. He's a head case. We know he's a head case. He talks about himself as being a head case. This isn't really a, like a great spot for him. It's a it's a fucking horrible spot for him. The, the trickery here is Musasi saying that he is going to pace himself. He was too aggressive in the first fight. He's going to relax. He's got plenty of time to do it, uh, blah, blah, blah. I don't like the idea of him giving Uriah Hall confidence by not attacking him constantly. I would much rather Musasi attacks him and, and takes him down at least and beats him up uh, and, and isn't out there giving – Uriah Hall room to spinning ninja kick in the air 53 times before he does something. I, I don't like that. Let's 
you know, hang back and see what happens kind of approach. So hopefully he doesn't do too much of that. Cause in my opinion, that's more dangerous than just, you know, going after him, but he probably will do that. He probably will hang back. He'll get his takedowns. He'll do some of the same stuff he did in the first fight. Uh, he'll eventually wear hall down and, I think he gets a stoppage late in the fight, maybe, you know, round four or so. I think he gets a stoppage with Hall's back up against the cage, punching until the ref gets there. Not quite the Vitor performance, but but pretty close. I've been hearing some interviews with Uriah Hall, and he said, you know, these guys don't want to stand with me, and they all want to wrestle me. And it's like, dude, your last two fights, uh, Robert Whitaker wanted to stand with you, and Derek Brunson wanted to stand with you too. So I don't really know what he's talking about, man. Yeah, exactly. The plenty of guys that stand with you. It did not work out well for you. You know what I mean? Like he's a, he's a guy who lands a kick on you. And then if you take it, he goes, well, what the fuck do I do now? You know what I'm saying? You can see him think it. You can see him do it. He, he hit, uh, uh, Whitaker with some fucking shots, dude. He hit him with one neck kick late in the fight. And I was like, Ooh, that kills almost anybody. And then Whitaker was like, Nope, didn't do it. And he was just like, Oh fuck, what do I do? You know what I'm saying? And, and it's these inopportune things where you're like, if you're rooting on Hall and he starts to spin, you just got to roll your eyes at that point. Because, yeah, he's got a chance of taking you out with it, but what he's really going to do is he's going to miss on a spin and his, and his knee is going to end up over your shoulder and he, he gives you the takedown. Or you, you step in mid-spin and you've got his back instantly. Like It's always like, a, oh, like come on, dude, just punch. Like... That happens so many times, uh, you know. I don't. The tricks are gone, dude. That was it. That that's the career highlight is the Musashi spin kick. That's it. Yeah, I don't really see a reason to bet this fight unless you have some prop in mind. Because I mean, for me, it's like obviously Musashi should win the fight on Uriah Hall's best day. He can knock out Musashi with a spin kick. On his worst day, he loses to John Howard. You know what I'm saying, Sean? Yeah, exactly. And you know what the weird thing about the Musashi finish was was that he hit him with a spinning cannonball, then ran up, jumped in the jumped in the air, and flying kneed his fucking face right off, and then landed on him, and then punched him, and Musashi wasn't knocked out. That's crazy. So what do you really have to do to knock Musashi out? You know, you did get the finish that time, but well, fuck. You know what I mean? Like. I don't know. This is not a good spot for Hall. I don't know why they did this to him, but if if you've ever listened to the guy talk, I'm sure he's not enthusiastic about this fight right now. Man, he's brutal with the media. Have you heard any of his recent interviews? Yeah, he's terrible. He's terrible. <laughs> he he gives off he gives oh off asshole like stronger than any other person, any other fighter that I've heard talk. Nobody gives off more asshole vibe than Uriah Hall. It's true. Let's talk about some of these early prelims. So starting off the card, we got Razak Al-Hassan. He's minus 335, and the comeback on Charlie Ward is plus 275. Now, Vic sent me a message, and he's like, dude, Razak Al-Hassan's like a fucking Rumble Johnson knockout artist. And then I looked him up. I mean, the kid's got a judo background, and he can knock dudes out. Super athletic, obviously. Comes to fight, you know, he uh, gets back up from the takedowns when they do occur. With Charlie Ward, you know, he isn't very experienced. I believe he's only two and one or three and one. And he's from SBG. So when you you know you know, when you hear that he's from SBG, you think, oh, so he's got spin kicks and you know, unorthodox striking, but it's like, nah, actually he's more of a of like a Kahal Pendrit type, you know, kinda like big and burly and yeah. try, tries to wrestle you down, tries to get the ugly decision. 
So, uh, listen, man, I got Razak Al-Hassan here via experience and via dynamic uh, athleticism and knockout power. Um, I, you know, instantly looked at this fight and passed. I watched one fight from each guy. Based on watching one fight from each guy, I'll go with Al-Hassan, too. But, you know, we don't know jack shit about either guy, to be honest. Who, who really knows? Um, yeah, pass on this one. I don't know enough. Next up, we got Brett Johns. He's minus 210, and the comeback on Quan Ho Kwok is plus 175. Now, uh, Brett Johns, you know, he does win a lot of his fights via grappling, but it's not, you know, you know, your, your double leg and your single leg and stuff like that. He's the kind of dude that's kind of slick with taking the back, and, uh, you know, he does go to decision a lot, but he's beat some UFC vets. I believe he might be undefeated, Sean, but he is coming off a layoff, but he finds ways to win, man. He's slick, and with Juan Ho Kwok, I mean, he's a dynamic uh, striker, very athletic. Biggest problem is that he does get taken down a lot. <laughs> you know, he does work back up to his feet, but he also, you know, his takedown defense isn't that great. So, I mean, who's going to show up here? I mean, is Brett Johnson going to be able to implement his game plan, take the back of Quan Ho Kwok, or is, you know, Quan Ho going to get off on that striking and potentially knock out Brett Johns, make him pay for the fact that he hasn't, you know, been active in a while, man. So... It's another tough one for me to call. You got to see how they look in that debut, and I would recommend staying away unless you know something that we don't. <laughs> Jimmy Quack Quan, and I don't care. That's his new nickname. He's got to go by that from now on. You like that? <laughs> Jimmy Quack Quan? You love it. Um, Jimmy Quack Quan, I think I did go look at this fight because I did want to bet. Juan Ho Kwok, um, he's got a pretty decent game. The fundamental game is good. The footwork is good. He really depends on leg kicks and, and solid like one two one two three combinations. He's he's not terrible. He's pretty fast. We know these Korean guys can fight. We know uh, plenty of good guys have come out of Korean top team. The problem is, um, you know, if you want to see the best of him in a way, you go watch that Alp Ozkilich fight. He looked pretty good there, but. It, his flaws were kind of magnified too. He does get taken down. He has a problem getting back up. His cardio is a little, um, cause he tries so hard to hit you during the fight. He doesn't, he, he he's not terrible. And when I saw a plus plus one seventy, I was like, Ooh, let me, let me watch, you know, four or five fights for each guy. And still, you know, wasn't enough. The reason why it's not enough is, is Brett Johns, not a terrible wrestler, not a terrible sub game, but what, you know, it's that thing that we've already talked about is that Euro wrestling game. Like, what does that really mean? I don't, I just keep on thinking it really means nothing. Uh, it should be enough to get it here though. And three rounds, I think he'll, he'll win two rounds by grinding. I think sort of a home crowd will, will do it for him. They'll be behind him. I, I would like to go with Jimmy Quack Quan, but I, I can't do it here. If it was uh, in Asia or in America, I might. But over there, I'll pass. Definitely check out my boy Adam Hunter's podcast because when they talk about Quan Ho Quack, man, I mean, they got me dying. But, dude, next up, Marion Renault, minus 230, Milana Dudievas, plus 190. Man, I think the school teacher is about to teach a lesson to this young uh, Russian girl, man. You know, Milana Dudieva, you know, she did take some time off because she just had a kid, Sean. I mean, she, oh, no. she got her ass whooped by Juliana Pena, and then she had a kid. Now she's coming back to face Marion Renault. And uh, 
Listen, if there's one thing about Mari and Renault, she's tough as hell. I mean, she can stand up and uh, piece you up, but she can also tap people out. I mean, she submitted Jessica Andrade with a triangle choke, and now Jessica is doing big things. So, man, I think Mari and Renault's got a point to prove. A lot of people thought she won her last fight against Ashley Evans-Smith. You know, I didn't go back and rewatch it, but, uh, you know, I, I bet on Ashley in that fight, and people got mad at me for cashing that ticket. You know, all good. But uh, in this spot, man, <laughs> I feel like... Uh, Marianne's got a point to prove, and Milana Dudieva, you know, her, her win in the UFC against Elizabeth Phillips, everyone thought she lost that fight, so she's 0-2 in the UFC. Sean, I feel like she's she probably has some of that mom quit, you know what I mean? So uh, The mom quit? Yeah, I, 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 I gotta go with Marianne Renault here, man. Who you got? I got Doctor Strange, because I went to go and see Doctor Strange. If you're gonna see Doctor Strange, you have to go see an IMAX 3D. You know, like, these Marvel movies are getting to the point where their government released, like, these movies are for the people. Like, it's kind of weird because it's the only things that, that Hollywood gets behind. And truth is, half of them are fucking terrible, but half of them are good. This one is one of the good ones. It's super good. It's, it's really creative. It's funny. It's really actiony. And it, IMAX 3D, whole different fucking story. So if you're going to go see one of the blockbusters and it's not Arrival, go see Doctor Strange instead. Oh, yeah? Is Arrival the real deal? Arrival is the big one, yes. Zach Cummings, he's minus 175, and Alexander Yakovlev is plus 155. Sean, I can't seem to get Alexander Yakovlev's fights right. I mean, minus the you know the George Sullivan and the Gray Maynard ones. But, man, I was so wrong about his last fight with Kamara Usman because I was under the impression that this guy was making huge strides. I thought his George Sullivan performance was that breakthrough where, you know, it was like, hey, man, this guy's here to stay. But, man, he just... It might have been. It might have been. It might be Usman's wrestling is better than we think it is. Man, Usman's grind is serious. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. That dude is ridiculous, man. So, I I mean, with Zach Cummins, we already know the deal. We're not going to see... Any anything different from him. He's a durable, tough dude. He can take a shot. He's strong. He's big. He can take you down. He can go all three rounds. We already know the deal with Zach Cummings. You know what I mean? He can take a shot to give a shot. So it's really about Yakovlev here, man. I mean, is he good enough to beat Zach or not? Um, I think he is. And as far as Zach's durability, that could have gotten beaten out of him. Because it, it, when you go back and watch that, that was a little bit more severe than I thought. You know what I'm saying? Like, he never really looked... Like, he was in serious trouble, but, man, he got his clock cleaned several times. And the, the takedowns were just not there. The shots add up, man. What's that? I said the shots add up, and he got hit oh, yeah. hard it, and it, often. Yeah, and this isn't the first time. You know what I'm saying? This isn't new for him. And I think, you know, through having success stalking guys and boxing them, I think that he's now stuck in that rut where he has to stalk you, walk you down and box you. And then for some guys, they love it. You know what I'm saying? Like pontoon boat loved it. You know what I mean? Like Yakovlev while limited and, and obviously maybe he has wrestling problems. You know what I'm saying? He, it's weird because he defended himself good against Maya, even though he didn't get up, but against Usman, he was like, it was effortlessly repeatedly taken down. Uh, his hands have looked very good, and then he's also looked super hesitant. You're right, he is tough to figure out. But he's a super hard fellow. Like, he's he's 
he's tough, man. He's tough to get out of there. I'm not quite sure who's going to win this fight. I suspect that Yakovlev is going to win this fight. I like that number on Yakovlev. Uh, a lot of that is based on, on Cummins. I don't think it's there for him anymore. I think that last fight is really going to rack up on him. Uh, what I do like is the over. I forgot what price I got that at, but I, I parlayed Yakovlev over with the Horiguchi over for one and a half units at plus 102 uh, to, to win 1.53. Um, I like both those overs. I, I think this fight in particular definitely goes to the distance. I don't see anybody finishing. Uh, I think the, the biggest chance for a finish is that Zach is even further gone than I think he is and that Yakovlev hits, Yakovlev hits him with the kind of shot that he hit Sullivan with, which could probably get anybody out of there if you don't see it coming. Um, but I think that Cummins is probably durable enough to make it to the end. And uh, I don't see Cummins getting rid of Yakovlev either. So, yeah, the over. The one thing I know. Oh, you know what? I've got, I, I'm sorry. I've got, a, I've got a round robin, too. I put Yakovlev in the round robin. I think it was at plus 140. You know I've never done a round robin in my life, Sean. This is a good one because there's so many fights. So there's, if there's four dogs that you're sort of on the fence on and you don't want to spend real money on them, just go ahead and stick them together and hope to win. It's not bad. The one thing about betting on Yakovlev in any fight is that if he loses, it's going to be the most frustrating way to lose a bet. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, like, it's going to be a situation where you're like, you bet on this fucking guy? Yeah, I did. <laughs> like you're not sure you, did. you're not getting up from the takedowns ever. Like you know, it's it's that yeah. kind of thing. But when he wins, he looks like a you know like a Russian destroyer. So yeah, you know, hopefully he's... and there's some there's something that's proven about him and that he's durable and tough and won't quit. So depend on that thing and make your plays off of that thing. Here's two guys who 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 can both do what I just said. So it's a good over. Hopefully he's been in the studio spitting some rhymes and uh, he comes out here excited, you know what I mean? Because uh, that'd be a nice underdog play. Now next up, Justin yeah. Ledette. He's minus 155 and the comeback on Mark Godbeer is plus 135. Man, I got I got to tell you what, man. Ledette's got some hands on him, dude. You know? <laughs> that, oh, yeah. Like, uh, it's just nice to see someone with a, with a, with a sharp jab. And it's not just the jab, it's not just the one-two. I mean, the hand fighting is on point, and also he makes adjustments in the fight. If you recall his UFC debut, he got leg kicked a lot and often the first three minutes, and then, you know, he's like, all right, I got to start checking these kicks, and he started checking the kicks. And the reason I bring that up, you know, because a lot of people might say, well, you know, it's common sense to check the kicks, right? Well, you know, his stance is kind of a boxing stance, and, you know, the downfall to the boxing stance is that they're really open to the leg kicks, you know? If you... If you're a Muay Thai guy, you're sparring against a boxer, kick him all day. But Justin Ledette made those in-fight adjustments that aided him. And uh, obviously, the leg kicks actually didn't affect him at all. But, you know, eventually they do add up. And that's when he said, look, I'm going to go shin on shin, which hurts the kicker more than it hurts the receiver. And, uh, man, that jab, you know, the thing that's so nice about a jab, and, you know, it's one of the most underrated weapons, in my opinion, is that, you know, you get hit with that nice jab, your eye starts watering, and, then you start hesitating. Then you start questioning, do I really want to attack this guy? You know what I mean? It doesn't knock you out. You know, sometimes it can drop you, but often it doesn't knock you out. It just makes you question things. Like, you recall that performance between uh, Gegard Musasi and Talos Latis? That's one of the best displays of an MMA jab I've ever seen. And Justin Ledeck came in there in his UFC debut, and man, his hands were on point. The hand fighting, the parrying to the jab to the one-two. He's got that shit down. With Mark Godbeer, I mean, he's your typical bar brawler. You know what I'm saying? He's got a... Big tattoo on his chest, 
chucks big bombs. You know, we already know the deal. So isn't that the perfect matchup to showcase Justin Ledette's boxing technique, Sean? Oh, yeah, that's the perfect. It's the perfect matchup. I love this matchup for him. I, I love Ledette as well. I've got to be a little careful on him because, you know, that, you know, uh, I like the boxing. Um, this is a particular guy. I, I don't think I've any I've seen anybody else come out and go. Oh, I'm going to show you guys what boxing is about. It's not like this fucker's a great boxer, but what he did was come out and show great MMA boxing. He's got this thing in his head, and he's fucking 100% right. He's like, a jab with these gloves is really easy to land, and you can throw it fast, and you can weave it in between, in between their guard, and there's not a lot of padding there, and you can really bust somebody up. You can really hurt people. You could jab somebody for an entire round and only do that and punish the fuck out of them, and it's got to be the easiest thing to land. Obviously, it opens up spots to get leg kicked, et cetera, but this guy's like, let me show you what boxing is about. He obviously believes in that. He came out, and he, he, he wasn't just doing like – George St. Pierre was like landing a jab like it was a straight left. You know what I'm saying? And and Musasi against Latis, he he did in between that and Ledet. Ledet his last fight was about flicking that thing or doubling it or jabbing like it's a boxing match. And that's excellent. That should be a huge weapon. That's one of those things that soon is going to get copied and it's going to be normal for everybody to be doing that, which is just going to make fights better because it's dangerous as fuck. But he's out there jabbing or double jabbing and following with a, with a really hard straight right hand and timing it and, and just truly out there looking like he's boxing dudes. And I really like that. And I don't want to get that, you know, inflated in my head is that this guy's good. Um, he's obviously got his downsides. He, he had some cardio problems. Um, he fell into a couple traps last time. I don't really know what his ground is like, honestly. Um, luckily, in this fight, I don't think we're going to have to find out. I think that Godbeer is made to order for him. I think he's going to come forward wildly, and he's going to leave plenty of room for Ledette to take a half step back and fire a one-two at him. We've already seen Godbeer get stopped. I think this is the kind of fight where he could get stopped again. Um I think that Ledette has his way with him. He he can tee off in, in a number of ways. Um, but but watch that jab, folks. Watch the jab. Watch the one-two. Watch him really work some boxing on him. I, I like this kid. He's confident. He knows what he does well, and he's going to go out there and try to do that. And as far as, like, an up-and-coming brand-new dude in the UFC, that's that's a he's already miles ahead of a lot of guys that we've seen or are confused as to their identity, don't really know how to play things. This guy – sort of a specialist. He's good at it. Let's go do that. I like that. So let's get that going. I've got Ledette in a parlay with somebody else on the the next card. Sean, we asked the fans, would you rather us talk about Amanda Cooper versus Anna Elmos or Benson Henderson versus Michael Chandler? They said they'd rather us talk about Ben Henderson versus Mike Chandler. No way. So, you know, I want to hear about Elmos, (laughs) you know, in the co-main event of that card, Michael Venom Page, he's minus 450. He's taking on Fernando Gonzalez, who's plus 360. And I got to tell you what, Sean, if Michael Venom Page wins this fight and can knock out Fernando Gonzalez, that's going to let me know that he's legit because, you know, people like to talk about how Connor's protected. Motherfucker, MVP 
is protected, okay? So, you know, with, with a Fernando, he's a dude that really turned his career around, you know? In, in all of his Bellator fights, he's been beating uh, UFC vets and dudes that have been around the game for a long time. The one fight he lost, the decision in a kickboxing match to Paul Daly, everyone thought he won that fight. So, basically, he's undefeated in Bellator. And, you know, the one time that MVP had a close fight was against Nashon Burrell. You know, going into that fight, oh, it was so funny. In the pre-fight, uh, MVP's like, you want to kick me? Nashon. You want to punch me? Nashon. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I bet the under one and a half in that fight because at that point, MVP was just making everyone look stupid. And, dude, this was a close fight. It, like, went all three. It was a clinch fest. And a lot of people thought that Nashon Burrell might have got, got the victory there. And man, I think Fernando Gonzalez is a lot better than Nashon Burrell. So this fight is really going to tell me what level MVP is on. For me personally, you know, I, I don't blame anyone for taking that plus 360. I mean, I might even take it myself. For some reason, I, I feel like I should just sit back and watch and find out firsthand if MVP is the real deal. But this is the fight that's going to let us know, man. Because up until now, he's been uh, he's been protected, Sean. He's absolutely protected. And and your thoughts on on... Here's what we're going to find out about about Michael Page. He's full of shit. You can take him down and expose him easily um, and break him. Or he's special. Uh, he is going to do some crazy fancy shit to you, and, and he might fight a close fight with you until that crazy special shit happens to you, but it's going to happen. Um, if I had to pick one right now, it's too early to really pick one. If I had to pick one right now, I'm going to say he's special. I, I like what he does. He loves hurting people. He's got great timing. He uses his distance. He's lightning fast. Uh, he's got multiple weapons. The The ground hasn't looked terrible. Um, he's pulled off some crafty submissions. It, it's there. You know, it, it's there. He might have one humongous hole in his game, and we might find it out this time, but I'll lean that we don't. I think he looks like Michael Venom Page again, wins big again. And the legend continues until he gets a real wrestler who's not 95 years old. Uh, I think that's where it stops. But for now, uh, I'll believe. Uh, I like Paige. Man, if he looks impressive, it's going to tell me a lot. Because Fernando's the kind of guy that can beat Michael. Because, I mean, he's going to be in his face. He doesn't give a fuck what MVP throws. He's tough as hell. He can clinch, but he can also strike. That kickboxing match with Paul Daly, that's all I needed to see. That this dude can stand and bang and... Just everything he's been doing in Bellator, man. He's no slouch at all. So this fight's going to be very telling. But next up, the main event of the evening for that card, Benson Henderson, the former UFC lightweight champion, the former WEC lightweight champion. He's a plus 140 underdog. And the reigning defending Bellator lightweight champion, Michael Chandler, is minus 160. Man, you know, a couple years ago, this would uh, I would have bet the Benson Henderson by split decision prop because every fucking Benson Henderson fight goes to decision, and usually it's a split decision. You know what I mean, Sean? And uh, Benson Henderson in his prime, he'll kick you in the calf. What was so cool about him, man, back in the WEC, remember that, that first fight with Cerrone when you know he was in those deep arm bars and his arm was twisted all the way upside his head and you know he, he you know he was totally fine he was just chilling there you could jump off the fence and kick him in the head send him flying and then he'd pop right back up like you remember those days like Benson Henderson oh, yeah. was one of the most durable guys 
in lightweight history, man. I mean, Frankie Edgar, a lot of people don't remember that Frankie Edgar dropped Benson two to three times throughout the series of their fights. And he gets right back up, man. I mean, but then uh, then he started not getting back up. You know, Rafael Dos Anos knocked him out. Pettis submitted him. And then, uh, you know, the fight started getting closer and closer. You know, you recall that fight with Rustam Habilov where in a three-round fight, that's a 29-28 Habilov, but a five-round fight, Benson was able to get it done. That fight with Thatch got very hairy at times. A lot of people, myself included, thought that Masvidal might have got the nod. But, you know, at that point, it was still he was still really damn good. But once he left the UFC and he went to Bellator, man, I mean, first of all, that fight against Koreshkov, that was a fucking career-changing beating, man. He got his ass whooped pillar to post for five straight rounds. I mean, dropped with flying knees, dropped with punches, and... It, it was really fucking bad. Then you hear him on all the telecasts, and he's fucking punch drunk beyond belief. And then uh, his next fight. So you say, well, Korshkov's legit. I agree, he is legit. But, I mean, he also gave him a legit ass whooping. So you say, all right, well, Korshkov's too big. Let's give him a smaller guy. Let's give him a fucking 45er. So he faces uh, Patricia. Dude, I thought he looked like total shit in that fight too, man. It's like, how does he bounce back from that ass whooping? Well, that's how he bounced back from that ass whooping. He looked terrible. So now, how's he going to bounce back from, you know, looking bad in a second straight fight? Well, now he's fighting Michael Chandler, who's looking better than he's ever looked. You know, Michael had that rough patch where he had the close fight with Eddie Alvarez. He finished Eddie Alvarez once, but the second time they fought, it was really close. The first Will Brooks fight was close. Then the second Will Brooks fight... You know, whatever happened in the fourth round, I got no explanation for that. All I'm going to go with is that's not going to happen in this fight. You know, next time Mike fights a, a power puncher, then I'll be fucking worried about him randomly, you know, not knowing what the fuck, you know, where he is. You remember that shit, man? He just got hit. And he was oh, like, yeah. He just wandered around. He's like, all right. He chandlered. That's what we named it. We were like, oh, he just chandlered all over the place. Yeah, that was uh, that was bad. But that's not going to happen here. If anything, the one that's going to get knocked out here is Benson. You Harrison, hope. Man. I mean... Fuck, man, because Benson's been looking like total shit. He's completely punch drunk. He wants to go to the military. He doesn't want to fight anymore. I mean, it, it, it's over, man. You know, like we talked about earlier with Chuck Liddell, how when he was on his decline, he didn't, you know, people only remember the end where he got knocked out every single fight, but they don't recall the beginning of the decline where he went to that split decision with Keith Jardine where, you know, he did have the war with Wanderlei, but back in his prime, he would have finished Wanderlei, and then he got knocked out every single fight. Well, with Ben, you know, he looked like shit against Korshkov and got destroyed, looked like shit against Patricio. This is the fight where he's going to get knocked the fuck out. And it's going to be devastating. It's going to be brutal. And I think that uh, Benson might even retire after the fight. Look, man, he's a legend of the sport. He's given a lot. I've watched all his fights. You know, I tip my cap to him. But this happens to fighters that stay in the game too long. He stayed in the game too long. I think Chandler's going to put him out, man. So I took the under 3.5 at plus 150. Or it might even be plus 155. And uh, I'm going to put some money on Chandler straight too. But, the you know, the line keeps going down. So I'm going to wait for... You know, all the nostalgic Benson Henderson fans. You know, all the dudes that are like, I've been watching since UFC 1, you know. <laughs> but uh, now I'm going to play uh, I'm gonna play Chandler here, man, and still. Well, here's the thing. If Benson, uh, Benson Henderson has not looked good since he switched over, and he's had a couple rough, uh, rough goes before he came over to Bellator. If he can't pull the trigger anymore, uh, he's going to lose this fight. If he's completely shot, he's going to lose this fight. He's headed towards shot, but I don't think he's completely shot. I think you're completely overselling uh, how how shot or not shot that he is. I think the idea that um, 
he's, you know, uh, crazy punch drunk. I think that's, that's crazy. He sounds pretty sharp to me. He sounds about the same that he's ever sounded to me. Um, you know, he does this thing. He, he here's what he, I think that he's going to put it together in this fight because what he does is he's a professional workman kind of guy. He understands the situation he is. He understands he's got a beatable guy in in front of him and he understands how to beat him. And he understands that he's got five rounds, his, his comfy home of five rounds to do it in. Um, here's why he'll beat him. Now Chandler, you know, there was a time where we thought Chandler was shot. Right. And then uh, what was the fight that he came back and he gassed in, a, in, in like a round? Was it Rickles, Daniel? Derek Campos, maybe? Brandon Gertz, one of those guys? I wanted to say it was Rickles. He he knocked the dude out, whoever it was. I forget which guy it was. But he why did he gas out so quick? He's always had problems with his gas tank. Um, and he comes on strong early, but eventually he kind of just peters out. And he's a tough guy, so he'll fight back when you push him. But he's just not the same guy later in the fight. Um, and this is a five round fight. Here's the reason why Chandler loses this fight because Benson is not as gone as you think he is. Benson still does what he does best still, which is win rounds and win rounds when he's got the the better gas tank. Benson has a better gas tank than fucking like mm, everybody. You know what I mean? Like his gas tank is superior to everybody. Almost. He's got a great gas tank. And this is a huge, huge advantage in this fight. I think he's going to avoid the serious damage. I think he's going to keep it close. I think he's going to cage push uh, Chandler. I think he's going to get half takedowns. I think uh, he's going to throw those fucking horribly boring calf kicks. And, and body kicks that only land with the foot and don't do any damage, but make that huge slapping noise. He's going to do some of that in the first two rounds. He's probably going to lose the first two rounds. He might even get caught and dropped and have some rough moments. But eventually, say the third round, maybe the end of the second round, where he looks at Chandler and goes, ooh, you're slowing down a little bit. I'm not. I got fucking ten more rounds left in me. Let's push you up against the cage now. Oh, you used to turn me around and put my back on the cage when I did this to you. Now you're not going anywhere. Oh, you used to defend this takedown or pop right back up. Now you're not popping back up. Now you're not defending this takedown. Benson wins round three that way. Benson comes forward, throws those body kicks, throws those calf kicks. Chandler's tired. He's backing up, gets against the cage again. Repeat. Repeat in the fifth. You got Benson winning the last three rounds, losing the first two. That's a win. And new Bellator champion, Benson Henderson. Now we're moving on to the UFC Sao Paulo card later that day. And we got Justin Scoggins. He's minus 165. The comeback on Pedro Munoz is plus 145. Now, man, we know that Justin Scoggins had a lot of issues outside of the cage. But now he's moving up a weight class. And, you know, a lot of us thought, or at least I thought, that he was the kind of guy that could have given DJ serious problems, man. But now he's moving up to 135. I don't know what the deal is. Do you know what the deal is, Sean? Because he was looking goddamn good at flyweight. That last fight against Borg was great, man. Oh, I know what the deal is. This guy. This fucking guy. Have you heard him talk about himself? He thinks he's Anderson Silva, dude. He thinks, he thinks he's the best shit ever. He's so young and so dumb sounding when he talks like he's so high on himself. It, it, ugh. 
Oh my god, I, I I'd be would high like them if I didn't. Too, son. <laughs> I, I would like them if I didn't have to hear him talk about himself. You know what I mean? Like if he, did, if he didn't have that opinion of himself, I'd be like, oh, okay, this guy's got some shit. But no, don't don't be thinking those things about yourself already. You're gonna get knocked down a peg or three. Man, I mean, obviously we know he's got that great karate style, a wrestling base. It's hard to take this dude down. In the fights that he's lost, you know, against Moraga, he was dominating that entire fight, and he just kept leaving his head in there for that guillotine. You know who's got a really good guillotine, Sean? This guy named Pedro Munoz has a pretty good guillotine. Oh, my God. This guy, Pedro Munoz, you know, he had this fight with Russell Doan, who's a very tough Hawaiian scrapper. And Russell Doan was getting off on the body kicks. He was landing to the face hard. You know, he was making Pedro Munoz be like, which one of y'all hit me with that? And, you know, <laughs> out of nowhere, Pedro Munoz gets him in a guillotine choke. You know, he, he goes from his back to the guillotine. I mean, just the setups are like unlike anything I've ever seen before in my life. And it's not just a, a fluke. He's done it on multiple people. So Scoggins could be looking amazing here. And one fuck up, one, you know, slip of the mind. And he could be tapping out, Sean. And it's happened before. Yeah, it's happened before. And the reason why I don't look at Scoggins and think, well, this fucking guy knows that he's not going to, not going to like, don't stick your head in there and risk a guillotine, right, dude? No. I don't think that this guy is that guy. I think this this guy, like I said, listen to him talk about himself. He's probably already erased that from his memory. And and better yet, if you're not going to go from fight to fight risking getting guillotined like a dummy, this fucking guy does it twice in one fight. Who do you give it to over and over again? Moraga, right? Like Just yeah. like, hey, guillotine me. Ooh, you almost guillotined me. You want to try again? Here, try again. Ooh, you almost got me that time. Here, go ahead. Give it another shot. Oh, you did get me that time. Like, that was ridiculous. Like, you're just watching that going, you're going to get guillotined. You know who didn't think he was going to get guillotined? Scoggins didn't think he was going to get guillotined. He fucking did get guillotined. So this fight, yeah, Munoz could obviously lock a guillotine on him. But let's talk about the other things. It's, it's standing up. You know, Scoggins moving up in weight, fighting the bigger guy. Munoz is no slouch on the feet either. He can hit. You know what I'm saying? He's rocked people that are that are better on the feet than Scoggins. Scoggins does some fancy stuff, but I don't I don't really see him doing anything like like great with it. It's just unorthodox at this point. Sometimes I think you can you can pare down and shave down some of this unorthodox stuff and get a much cleaner shot on somebody if you're not worried about being fancy with it. Um, you know, move up and wait, think you're the best ever fight Munoz in Brazil. You're going to find out this guy is bigger. He hits hard. He's super dangerous on the ground. So your wrestling game is going to have some fucking problems. And a, a guy is all about having mental lapses. It'll only take one mental lapse here to get finished. But even without that happening, you know, I give Munoz a good chance to win this just on the feet, winning a decision. Uh, in Brazil, definitely makes a difference. Um, I like Munoz here. I've got him in that that two unit round robin. So far, that's Yakovlev, jo- uh, oops, Yakovlev and Munoz, and I've got two more guys coming on that later in this card. Well, Munoz inside the distance is plus three fifty. So if you think he's going to get that guillotine, that might be worth a look. Honestly, Sean, I am picking Justin Scoggins, but, dude, I'm rooting for Munoz all day, so I hope you cash his bet. I mean, Munoz is a guy, you know, you mentioned his striking. 
He's a guy that rocked Jimmy Rivera. He fought three tough rounds with Rafael Asuncao. So, I mean, he's very capable on the feet. And I love the style clash. You know, it's a karate guy in Scoggins versus a King's MMA Muay Thai striker in Pedro Munoz. So, but man, the thing is, Pedro Munoz isn't quite on that, you know, Benil Dariush level where the kicks are just, you know, you, you better watch out for Benny's kicks. I mean, you saw what Benny just did to Rashid, which is, you know, no one fights Rashid like that. One doesn't simply head kick Rashid Magomedov. I don't think Pedro's on that level yet with his striking, but I do think he's slick. I do think he hangs in there, and I do think one lapse by Scoggins will cost him the entire fight. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, is Scoggins going to make that mistake or not? That's basically what it comes down to, man. You know, I mean, do you think Pedro can legit outstrike him for three rounds? I do think he can legit outstrike him for two uh, for three rounds. I think... Um, you know, it sometimes like we talked about this before. Sometimes it's just aggression that'll do it. You know what I'm saying? You sometimes in this sport you don't have to be the better guy; you can be the more aggressive guy. And, and sometimes that'll just straight up win you fights. Um, you know, I I don't blame you for picking Scoggins here. He's definitely got the tools. It's just his his attitude is a big point of dissension for me. The way he talks about himself is a big point of dissension for me. Like. He's coming into every fight thinking he's not going to lose. And and that's different if you're Conor McGregor and you're like, oh, I'm just going to stomp your guts out, and then you do. It's like this guy has, has lost stupidly plenty of times. Like, well, I don't know about plenty, but he's lost stupidly. You know what I'm saying? He's setting, him up, he's setting himself up for another stupid one. He thinks he's fighting a little guy. He's not. You know what I'm saying? He's not. This is a... This is a tougher fight than he's saying, anyway. So, coming to Brazil, you already had some problems. What was the problem last time? Is it going to be the same problem this time? You're going to make a good weight cut? You're going to go out and party instead? You're going to go sightseeing instead? You're going to eat some Brazilian food instead? Who knows? What did you think about Scoggins' last fight with Ray Borg? Because I thought that was the best Scoggins we've ever seen. It was, but I mean, it's just as easy to look at that fight and go, what do we really know about Ray Borg? Ray Borg, uh, if you freeze him up in, in one thing, he, he's not that great. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's got uh, to be fighting ahead and transitioning between things and trying to catch you in scrambles and stuff like that. Um, you know, that, that didn't happen. I, I don't think we know enough about Ray Borg to use that as the victory to coronate Scoggins as Wonder Boy with wrestling. You know what I'm saying? That's what I keep hearing from people, and it's it's not there for me yet. Um, you dispose of Munoz, and I'll fucking think twice about that shit. You squeak it past Munoz, and I'm right where I am now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know what you mean, Sean, and uh, I heard you got a strong stance on this next fight between Luis Henrique. He's minus 270. Oh, yeah. The comeback on Christian Colombo is plus 230. Now, this is what I got to say about Christian Colombo because I know a lot of people are shitting on him. He performed a lot better in his last fight than people give him credit for, man. I mean, those leg kicks were on point. Everyone picked the Man Mountain to beat uh, Christopher Colombo, and I don't care what the judges said. That fight, uh, Christopher won that fight, man. It wasn't, uh, or Christian, not Christopher. Christian won that fight, dude. And uh, that shit was not a fucking draw. But regardless, this is a different matchup, obviously. We all know Luis Henrique in his UFC debut. You know, he took down uh, 
Francis Ganou and Ganou. Uh, and what happened in that second round? It was one of the most brutal uppercut finishes in UFC yeah. history. But you know what? He Some rebounded. Good shots. I got to give him credit where credit's due. You know, oftentimes we talk about, you know, you don't come back from certain knockouts. Like you recall Steve Bossy versus Tiago Maheta. And then he came back and won his next two fights. Well, yeah. this is one of those situations. Luis Henrique came back and he won his next fight after that devastating knockout. That shows me his mental fortitude, man, because, you know, that's a career ender for other guys. And he came back and he was able to implement his game plan like nothing ever happened. So in this fight, I feel like Luis Henrique, he's the younger guy. And uh, he also has more ways to win. You know, if he engages in a Muay Thai fight, he could still catch Christian Colombo. But Christian Colombo, you know, he lets his he lets his kicks go. He lets his tie clinch go. So that's where he has the most chance to win. But Luis can take it to the ground, and uh, he can also keep it standing as well. So I'm going to go with Luis Henrique. But I heard uh, I heard you really have something to say about this. Yeah, absolutely. I got a I got a three unit parlay for these cards, and and Henrique is half of it. Um, Henrik, now, when you're talking about this guy, you have to talk about him in terms of heavyweights, okay? So when I say he's pretty good, I mean he's pretty good for a heavyweight, which, is, you know, isn't saying a ton. But in this case, unfortunately for people like heavyweights, it's kind of fucking true. Um, he, like, he, like you said, he took a fucking drubbing. That was a massive uppercut, followed by whatever came next. It was fucking ugly. Um, comes back, rebounds, wins the next two fights. He's... He's the only Brazilian uh, up-and-coming heavyweight, right, that I know of. Um, he's a young guy. Uh, he has a lot of tools, but none of them does great, but we're talking about heavyweights here. He can take you down. His ground and pound is pretty decent. His striking is not terrible. His defense is not terrible. Like he, he's, he's kind of a middle-of-the-road kind of guy, which in the heavyweight division right now puts him – above middle of the road. Uh, Christian Colombo, which I'm just going to go ahead and go with Christopher Columbus because it'll accidentally get there anyway. So uh, Christopher Columbus, fucking terrible. Fucking terrible. And you can say he won that fight. Okay, maybe he did. Maybe he did win that fight, sure. But you had a dead man in front of you. You had a fucking sitting duck in front of you. You can't really land anything. You can push the guy's head down. And, and I felt like in that position, I could have landed a clean knee. Why can't this guy push his head down and land a clean knee? That's what he does, right? That's his deal. I'm going to knee you. I'm going to do Muay Thai stuff. I'm going to leg kick you. Why can't he get rid of the fucking dead sitting duck guy? He was completely gassed. He's completely sloppy. His knees are gone. He's fucking ancient. This is a bad matchup for him. This is Brazilian fans wanting to see... Uh, a Brazilian fighter look good, and that's what they're going to get. Uh, Henrique, while not great, is is miles past uh, Christopher Columbus. He's going to take him down. He's going to beat the fucking piss out of him. And when he's tired, and and Henrique isn't tired, the end of the second round, beginning of the third, he's going to get him down. He's going to beat the piss out of him until he turtles and the ref gets there. Uh, I don't see Christopher Columbus mounting any kind of offense here. I see him constantly on his back foot trying sloppy shit over again. It, it's not going to land. He's going to get landed on. He's going to end up on his back, and he's going to stay there. Uh, I love love Henrique. Uh, as far as all these flights go, That's my he's half of my biggest bet. 
That moment when your biggest bet is on Luis Henrique. I wish you luck, my friend. It's so weird, isn't it? I'm like, wow, who do I feel most confident about? This guy and this guy? Well, fuck. I can't really argue with that. That's how I feel. Let's do it. Let's go, Henrique. You're my fucking hero. <laughs> Next up, we got Johnny Eduardo. He's minus 155. The comeback on Manny Gamburian is plus 135. And, man, I, I'm forever indebted to to Johnny Eduardo. I mean, cashing that plus 800 against Eddie Wineland, I believe to this day that's my largest underdog hit. So, you know, that, he can lose his next eight fights and I'll be straight. You know what I'm saying, Sean? But uh, yeah. in this spot, I mean, I feel like Eduardo should win. But should doesn't really mean shit. I mean, Gamburian, he's been in the game a long fucking time. I mean, little short, five foot four guy that throws an overhand. He can take you down to the ground, judo base. He's looked like shit every single fight for the last however long. I mean, and it's been years, man. I mean, his fight with Rob Emerson, he got knocked out in 11 seconds. And this is before the Jose Aldo knockout, you know what I mean? And uh, Johnny Eduardo, you know, he fights and then he takes two years off and he comes back. In his UFC tenure, I mean, he went the distance with Rafael Asuncao. He knocked out Eddie Wineland, and then he got choked out by uh, Aljamain Sterling. So I think he's been fighting better dudes than than Manny. And it's just a matter of, you know, is he going to catch Manny? Is he going to get laid on here? I'll, I'll just go with the he catches Manny and he gets him out of there. Yeah, it's completely possible. We talked about this earlier today. I, I was like, ah, oh, fuck, dude, I have to bet on Manny Gamburian. And, like, I still can't make myself do it as of right now. Don't do it. I don't understand. I know. I don't understand why he's the dog. When I look at this fight and when I go to bet this fight, I can't get past the point where, yeah, Manny Gamburian is going to bull rush Eduardo and take him down and lay on top of him, and he's going to win three rounds doing that. I don't – I can't get past that. That's how I see this fight going. I don't know why I haven't bet it because that, that outcome is fucking stuck in my head. And that, that price to my, in my opinion is, is wrong. It's off. He shouldn't be the dog here. Um, Johnny Eduardo for everything you hear about him being a good striker. Sure. Shit doesn't strike anybody too good. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't really do, do too much. Except Eddie um, Island. Well, okay. You know what I mean? Like, meh. that's it though. You know, like I, that, that, I know I've shown it to you before. I'll post it for people who haven't seen it, and I'll tag you in it. But Johnny Eduardo was uh, one quarter of my biggest win ever, which was like one unit to win 25 units of four-team four round-robin with all on the same night. Philippou was like plus three-something against Larkin. Uh, Magny was plus two-something against, I think it was Tim Means. Eduardo was plus seven something against uh, uh, against Wineland and and another huge dog on that card and I just lined them up all in the same same round robin and it was fucking humongous. Anyway, um, I'm not a believer in Eduardo. He has not not shown me shit. He can absolutely tag Gamburian before Gamburian got knocked out horribly in his last fight. He can definitely tag Gamburian after after that last fight. Now I'm sure Gamburian is, is half halfway rocked when he walks into the fucking cage now. <laughs> he's also he's also old. He's also broken and injured all the time. But, you know, I mean Eduardo is a part time fighter, right? He hasn't fought in two and a half years, right? Yeah, he's coach no, Eduardo. He fought, he fought yeah, he fought Sterling shorter ago than that. But that Wineland win was like three years ago, two and a half, something like that. Anyway. I'm not a believer. I'm not going to do it, and I'm going to end up kicking myself for not doing it. 
but I think Cam Burian goes to Brazil and lays on this fucking guy and makes it super boring and, and makes you get up and go to the bathroom, but he wins. Yeah, Coach Johnny, uh, you know, he's a Nova Onyala striking coach, so you know he's training with some badasses, and you know he is one of the badasses there, but uh, it's just about... Is he going to implement his yeah. game plan? I mean, it's he, been a long time. He since, can't put it together. It's been a long time. He's since, a gym, a gym all star, right? Gym all star looks great. <laughs> yeah, lights, but, when those lights come on, he's like, "Oh, what do I do?" <laughs> At least he's never, you know, been knocked out cold in the UFC. But I know what you're saying. You know, Mike Pyle's known for that. It's been a while since uh, Manny Gamburian's laid on anyone. You know, his only recent win. You know, it was a beautiful guillotine against uh, Cody Gibson. I got to give him credit. It was an unbelievable guillotine. But up until that point, he was getting his ass whooped. And in that Cole Miller fight, that was some terrible refing, man. He got stopped in the first round. And then they tried to act like it was an illegal blow. And then what the fuck happened after that? So Yeah, he pulled it off. Yeah, I don't know. They're both shit. They are. They're both not good. But I, I just don't see... Gamburian being the dog here. I, I don't. I've never seen anything from Eduardo that makes me think he's anything at all. Next up, we got Marcos Hogerio de Lima. He's minus one fifty. The comeback on Godzhimurad Antigulov is plus one thirty. Now, Sean, I got to play in this fight, dude. You know, with Marcos, I don't blame you. With Marcos Hogerio de Lima, I mean, the dude comes to bang. Uh, he can knock guys out, but you know what he can't do, Sean? He can't wrestle. And you, nope. you know what Antugulov can do? I mean, he's a master of sport and wrestling, Sean. And, you know, he's on master a... Master sport. He's on a 12-fight win streak. You know, he's been before the board. He's been approved. He's a master of sport. <laughs> and uh, now he's ready to make his UFC debut and uh, take this guy down who has been taken down before. He's got to avoid the early knockout, which I think he'll be fine, you know. He has faced defeat before back in the day against some tough dudes that are in the UFC. That Edelob dude who who uh, popped from Eldonium right before his debut. You know what I'm saying? It's like right before your debut, then you get suspended for two years, but they keep you on the roster type thing. But with that being said, I feel like Antigulov is about to grind this guy out, maybe get an arm triangle along the way. But bottom line, that plus 130, I took it when it was plus 140, but plus 130 sounds good to me, Sean. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. Um, we're going to go with, with Iditarod Anti-Metoff for his name. We're changing that name. And it, I like Anti-Metoff. That's a good last name. But I feel like it, if his name was Anti-Metoff, that he would be like a really non-Russian type of fighter, like he would do like Kung Fu or something. But unfortunately, he's he's very Metoff. Um, I almost bounced Yakovlev and, and put, him, put him in instead, but I, I took Yakovlev instead. But um, yeah. I think he's going to bum rush. He's going to get takedowns. I don't know if he finds the sub, but I think he's going to stay on top and pound there. I don't, I don't think Galima has the cardio to deal with it. Um, but, you know, debut, far away, the other guy's home. Uh, I skipped it. I'll wait and see, and then I'll be mad when he wins instead of uh, making money when he wins. Sean, that's exactly how I feel about this next fight because we got Jack Hermanson. He's minus 230. The comeback on Cesar Mutanch is plus 190. Now, I mean, we should we should all bet Jack Hermanson, right? But the thing is, man. Yes, we should. You know, when it's minus 230 after it was uh what what, what the fuck this shit open at? It opened minus uh, one like... it was minus 170, then it was minus 165, now it's minus 230. I just uh, I just can't really do all that. Even though I think he's going to win the fight. I just, you know, 
There's no value on that line, man. But at the same time, most likely he's going to win this fight. I know Cesar's put it together his last two fights. He also fought the two worst guys in the middleweight roster, you know, in his last two fights. I mean, fucking Bang Bos, you know, he can knock guys out. But if he doesn't, you know what happens. And then the other guy, Anthony. And he almost... Andy almost knocked him out. Andy almost knocked him out. And the other guy, Anthony Smith, I mean, Jesus Christ, right? So, Mutanch got it done those two fights. Congrats. Fair play to him. But uh, Jack Hermanson, man, he's got some good things going on for him. He, you know, I call him Lil Jocko because, you know, he's got the Jocko footwork. You told me about it last time. You warned me. I, uh, I didn't listen to you. And then he cost me when I bet on Ask Him like a dumbass. And now I learned my lesson. This guy is legit. He didn't just outpoint Ask Him. He uh he rocked Askham and no one's been yeah, able to rock Askham until this point. Yeah. He took it to him yeah. and he lands one of those shots that he landed on Askham against Cesar and we know the deal with Cesar's chin. But look, Cesar's athletic and he's more confident since he had his surgery. You know, he can get a nice blast double here and there. So Jack's got to look out. He's you know he's a smaller guy. He can't get put on his back. And then you know if he doesn't work his way back up, that'll suck. But based on his footwork and his fight IQ and you know, he he seems to really have it together, Sean. So I got to go with Jack Hermanson via knockout. Yeah. That's right. Hey, look, the other half of, of the, the three-unit biggest bet parlay with, with superstar Henrique is Jack Hermanson. Like, he showed up in that fight. That was a tough fight to have in your debut. And we know that guys never look great in their debut. And he looked great. He did. He put it together. I mean, it, you know, it's not like he's fighting – you know, a world killer and, and ask him, but he did exactly what he needed to do. And when things started to pull a little even, and when things started to slip, he had another gear. He kicked it up. He did more. He clinched them and, and hit him with dirty boxing. He did all kinds of stuff. He's really well-rounded, had showed great cardio, showed some good power, showed some good speed. He was, he was pretty impressive. The, the footwork is good. He's got good in and out. Um, you know, he confused Askham. He looked good. He looked good. And and you know what? If he didn't look good, he's still fighting Mutanch. And Mutanch, for all his upside, it doesn't matter. There's one humongous downside, and that is chin is made out of, like, bubble gum wrapped around some popsicle sticks <laughs> with some, like, duct tape around it. Like, if you hit him once, it just flies into pieces. He's going to get hit in this fight. He's going to get hit. And it's not going to be like Hermanson isn't going to pull a Bang Bose and, and hit him and go, and go all fucking water boy on him and try to destroy him and, and gas out and look like shit. He's going to take him apart. He's going he's gonna to hit him. He's going to look. He's going to hit him where he's not protecting. He's going to get on top of him. He's going to hit him with coffin nails. And he's going to dead him. And in and, and, and perfect Mutanch fashion, he's going to be – Eyes rolled back in his head, laying flat on his back, looking like a dead guy. It's, <laughs> it's, that's what Mutanch does. You know what I mean? Like, let's not let's not let those two horrible fucking wins that you mentioned change our minds here. All right? Like, Hermanson beats Mutanch if Mutanch didn't have a shitty chin. Okay? But in this case, with old glass chin, it's, it's only a matter of fucking time. It's only a matter of time. And you could find out something her, about Hermanson. You know, Mutanch throws hard spin kicks and shit like that. He could get caught. Sure, it's a fight. But come on, man. It's Mutanch's chin. And if you got that 180 or so like I did, it's, it's, it's a good number. Even in Brazil, 
he's going to find that chin. He's got three rounds to do it. He's going to find it. He's going to get him. I think he can shrug off takedown, stay standing, land the shot, win the fight, knockout. Hermanson, Henrique, three units. Uh, I think it's plus 118. So if Jack Hermanson is a good parlay leg, who besides Henrique you think would go well with him? I mean, maybe Justin Ledet? Ledet, Almeida, uh, Ishihara, or the Yakov level over. I like all those. Next up in the welterweight division, we got Sergio Serginho Moraes. He's minus 170. The comeback on Zach Otto is plus 150. I got to tell you what, Sean, Zach Otto impressed me in his UFC debut. I mean, he was on point with the kicks. He was able to really stifle Josh Berkman's attack. You know, anytime Josh tried to move forward, Zach immediately countered him with a kick and let him know, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're going to fight on my terms. So that was really impressive because if you go back and you watch his fight with Jacob Volkman, which was only a year before that. You know, he looked like total shit in that fight. So, to me, it's either he had an off night in the Volkman fight or, man, he's just improved a whole lot because he was very impressive in that debut. Now, the thing with Serginho Marais is, at one point, I was super high on this guy. I mean, I'm still a fan, obviously, but, you know, when he tapped out Neil Magny and, you know, his fight with Mutanj back before Mutanj had a glass chin, Serginho was very promising, man, but... You notice how after the Magni fight, he didn't fight for about two years, and then he came back, and he wasn't the same guy, you know? He has world-class jiu-jitsu. In his last few fights, he hasn't been looking to take the fight to the ground. He's been standing and banging with these guys. You know, he got one knockout, so now he thinks that, you know, he's a striker, and, you know, he paid the price in his last fight. He got dropped twice in the first round. And uh, with Zach Otto, I mean, he seems to be a very measured and patient kind of guy. He doesn't take any unnecessary risks. You know, I don't really know what's going to be the deal if he does get taken down. But based on Sergino's last fights, he hasn't even been looking for takedowns, man. So it seems like Zach Otto might just kick him to a decision here. I mean, it, it seems like I should take the shot. But, I mean, if Sergino takes this to the ground and u- utilizes his world-class jiu-jitsu, he could definitely get him out of here. It's just a matter of he doesn't fight like that anymore, man. You know, what is it? Is it a matter of him aging? Is it a matter of new regulations You know, in the sport? He did take those two years off, man. You know, it's just a new era, man. I, I mean, I agree with you. I think you should take the shot. The, the the third piece of my round robin is is Zach Otto. I think, you know, he's obviously a, a really muscly, strong guy. He he sets up punches and kicks. Each one is super hard, um, pretty precise, uh, comes forward. And he's a much cleaner striker than Marais is a way cleaner striker. Um, and the thing about Serginho Moraes is, is why won't he take him down and use the, use the jiu-jitsu? I don't fucking know, but he's not gonna. He's not into it anymore. I don't know why. He wants to be exciting. He wants to sling punches. He wants to get knockouts. Well, he's not good at that. He's good at the other thing. He's good at the thing that he doesn't do. I don't know why he does that, but he's going to do that again. So if you're looking for a reason to bet this fight, look at every time that, that Marais doesn't doesn't get takedowns, doesn't try to get takedowns, doesn't look to use the jiu-jitsu. You know what I mean? Like sometimes when he's losing a fight, he's like, ooh, I better do that. You know what I'm saying? But it's too late by then. Um, it's going to be too late here. I, I think he's going to be in trouble standing. I think he's going to get hit hard. He's going to get dropped. Um, he probably makes it to the end of this fight, but... 
the other thing about him is is when he doesn't want to get takedowns, his takedowns are not great. You know what I'm saying? I could easily see Zach Otto stopping these takedowns and keeping it standing, even if Marais wanted to take him down. Um, at that price, I, I like Otto here. I think he stands up, gets a decision, and, and maybe uh, beats Marais back into being a jiu-jitsu guy. That'd be nice for all us Serginho fans. And, man, we, we probably do have to take that shot on Zach Otto. But next up, man. Kamaro Uzman, he's minus 220. The comeback on Warley Alves is plus 180. Remember when Warley Alves first came in the, into the UFC? He was one of the scariest dudes in the welterweight division. That squeeze on that guillotine, oh my God. I mean, he, you know, he dangles off your neck. You recall that fight with Colby Covington? And, uh, you know, he, he was waiting for Colby to shoot for that takedown so he could get that guillotine in there. So, you know, is he going to do the same thing here? Kamaru's grind is unbelievable. I mean, this guy... You know, will beat you to a pulp, and then he won't stop there. You know what I mean, Sean? He'll keep going. And it's funny because he doesn't really get guys out of there, but he beats them down for 15 straight minutes. And you know, he's consistent with it, man. He's very stiff on the feet, though. You know, so it, the right person that catches Kamaru Usman will definitely put him out. But man, it's about stopping that that grind. I don't know if Worley can do it. We all know Worley's got a very suspect gas tank, but we also know he's capable of very explosive shit. And not just the guillotine, I mean the flying knees. I recall that fight with Barbarena, and uh, Worley landed this one body shot. You cringe when you see that body shot, man. I mean, he hits hard, dude. So, you know, I don't fault anyone for taking the shot, but it seems like Kamaru is probably going to do it with that grind, man. His, his wrestling is ridiculous, but... Eventually, someone's going to capitalize on Kamaru, you know, being so stiff in the stand-up if they can stuff his takedowns. You think Worley's going to be the guy? I, I don't. I, I, I don't think he stuffs takedowns. You know why he doesn't stop takedown, stuff takedowns? is because he looks to drop to his back and get to guillotine instead. He doesn't get it, and then he ends up on his back, and then he's in deep shit. Um, I don't like either of these guys. I never liked Worley Alves. I, he had that front-runner thing about him right from the – very get-go. I don't like Kamara Usman uh, just because he's just, you know, very one-note. He's a wrestler, grinder. I, I get it. The reason why I usually jump right to... I, I always go through wrestling, ground stuff, and striking when I break down a fight. The reason why I end up talking about the striking more often is my overall opinion on wrestling and MMA is that it's not what it was. You know what I'm saying? What is wrestling now really? Re wrestling now is kind of a time killer. Don't get me wrong. There's guys who are, have much better wrestling than another guy can take him down and beat the fuck out of him. There's guys that are great at it. and You can absolutely win fights that way. But what you need is a big-ass fucking gap between those two things. You need a big gap between how good of a takedown guy you are and how good their takedown defense is. And they, their takedown defense is really good now so you might not land the takedown you might just hold them in almost getting a takedown or pin them against the cage for three and a half minutes and win the round that way but it's not as dangerous of a weapon as it used to be so Kamaru Usman while that weapon is is good he's eventually going to run into people who are as good at stopping it which is much easier than getting it um this isn't the time but, you know, a one-note wrestling guy doesn't really do it for me. There's a couple specialists out there like, uh, you know, Maya, Khabib, like guys who if they get you in that position, you're deep, deep shit because they're way past you. But, you know, Kamaru Usman isn't it. 
punch his way into that grind and, and dummy war, Warley Alves will look for that guillotine drop to his back and, and kill around that way. And then he'll be tired in the second, then he'll legit get taken down and kill around that way. And then Usman wins the third round too. And that's it, you know, boring fight 30, 27 Usman. Next up in the middleweight division, we got Talis Latis. He's minus 175. The comeback on Christoph Jocko is plus 155. Now, you guys already know, I think Christoph Jocko is the number one prospect in the UFC middleweight division. And if he wins this fight, you'll turn from prospect to contender, man. This is a big step up in competition. But if there's one thing we know about Christoph is that he knows how to win these fights. You know, his movement, man, he's one of the first guys that I've seen that moves like that. Like, who else moves like that, Sean? I mean, there's, you know, there's a couple of, like, Hermanson, but he's kind of, like, after Jocko. Yeah, exactly, after Jocko's, Jocko. Yeah. Jocko's movement is, is really good. It, it is. His in and out is, is really good, and his distance management is, is indeed really good. Yeah, man, he is very, very solid. And, you know, the thing with him was I always thought he was an expert point fighter. Then he goes in there in his last fight, you know, as a plus 200 underdog, and he knocks Tamden McCrory out stiff. And not only does he knock him out, I mean, he changed his life, dude, because you saw Tamden's next fight. And that was just a, as a, you know, that was a, a direct result of what Jocko did, man. Jocko changed this guy's life. And uh, it's pretty cool to see that he's not just a point fighter. He can knock dudes out, too, if he sits on his punches. He moved the ATT. He's taking his career very seriously. So I think this is a very good time to be betting on Jocko, man. And, I mean, he's had those tough fights in the UFC. He's prevailed. He actually lost early on in his career, in his UFC career, and he came back from that. So, you know, it's not like he needs to take his first L or anything like that. He's already been there, done that. With Talis, I mean, he's a big, grizzly vet. You know what I mean? He's got world-class jiu-jitsu, you know, but he looks to grind the fight down, push you up against the fence. If he can't take you down, he wears you out in that clinch. And, you know, throws the occasional left hook, the overhand right. But, man, in that Musasi fight, Musasi was able to stop him in his tracks with that jab, make his eye start to water, then close his other eye and uh, completely freeze him. I don't think Kristoff's going to do exactly that because Kristoff's got a little bit of a different game than Musasi, you know, a lot more footwork. But I think that, uh, you know, this can be like a, a Matador versus the Bull type fight. You know what I'm saying? With Kristoff uh, being on his feet and outpointing him and, you know, Another thing I notice is that when Kristoff gets pushed up against the fence, he's able to break from the from the from the clinch very well. So he knows what the fuck he's doing, man, and he's getting better. He thinks when he's fighting. I like the underdog shot on Jocko here, dude. Yeah, I agree with you. The the fourth leg of that two unit round robin is Jocko. So that's Jocko, Otto, Jakob, Munoz. I think um I think that Jocko is catching uh, Latest at the exact right time. You know what I'm saying? That we know what Latest does. He'll he'll backpack the fuck out of you, or he'll aggressively, sloppily come forward and and you know eventually land shots because he's a, he's a tough guy and he he's he's a vet. He's got a deep bag of tricks. Uh, he's definitely somebody to be respected. Uh, but I think this will be a big win for Jocko. I think Jocko just saw that game game plan laid out by Musasi on how to beat him. You box him. You know what I'm saying? You go straight down the pipe. I, I'm hesitant to say that I think that Jocko turned a corner in that last fight because it wasn't long enough for me to go, ooh, I'm convinced he turned a corner. But see, what happens is you go to a new camp. You learn all these things. You say, ooh, I'm going to take this super seriously. Let's go. I'm training with the best in the world. I believe in myself. 
And then your next fight, you stomp the shit out of somebody and you knock them out cold with one punch. And this isn't a guy who gets knocked out. So whether or not you had enough time in that fight to turn a corner, I think the combination of going to AT and, uh, ATT, learning those things, and then having that result can push you to be turned a corner. You've now turned the corner. You've now said, I believed in this. I did this. Look at this result. I am good. I'm supposed to be here. I'm going to go to Brazil beat this guy. This is going to be my biggest win. I'm going to be in the top 10, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is a great spot for Jocko. I think that latest has to be on the way down. He's taken some beatings. Uh, he exploited a huge hole in Kamozi's game. That's, that's always been there and will never go away. That being said, uh, could latest backpack Jocko and push him up against the fence and, and work some of the same, same things that we were just talking about, just killing time. Yeah, he could, he could do that. Uh, he's strong, you know what I'm saying? He's bigger than Jocko is, but I think that Jocko works a Musashi kind of game. I think he's in and out. I think he uses his footwork, and I think uh, Jocko now has enough power to get Latus's respect, to make Latus hesitate, to put Latus on the back foot and have Jocko come forward. That eliminates some of the threat of being pushed up against the cage. Jocko takes over that way and probably – loses the first round and wins the last two. So I'll take Jocko by decision. I'm glad you brought up Chris Camozzi because, man, it looked like he might have been uh, turning a corner in his own right. You know, that fight with Vitor Miranda. But, man, uh, Talos Latest proved that that wasn't the case. But with Jocko, I think he is actually turning a corner, man. And, you know, he's not a stationary target like Camozzi. It's going to be very tough for Talos to get this one to the ground. Like you mentioned, the movement and uh, his fight IQ – his fucking ring craftsmanship, you know what I'm fucking saying, dude? Yeah. He's on he's, fucking He's point, got man. something. He's got it, man. Yeah. I, I think there's something special about this guy. So I just want to, I want him to prove me right and go out there and cash this underdog bet. So next up, we got Claudia Gadelia. She's minus 470. The comeback on Courtney Casey is plus 375. Now, uh, in my opinion, Sean, Claudia Gadelia is really overrated. You know, she, I agree. Firstly, she's two and two in the UFC. Okay, so for the number one guy or number one chick in that weight class to be to be a five hundred fighter, you know, you know what I'm saying, man. It's kind of and, and the wins. You know, let's talk about who she beat. She beat Tina Lockdemaki. Do you know who that is, Sean? No clue. And she beat Jessica Aguilar, who has a a, yep. a grand total of zero wins in the UFC. Those are her two wins. Okay, and she's the number one in that weight class. And Courtney Casey, okay, you know, her two wins are against, uh, you know, fucking Christina Stansu and Randa Marcos. At least Randa Marcos is in the UFC, and Courtney finished her in the first round. And her two losses, you know, against Joanne Calderwood and Siohi Ham. You know, in that Calderwood fight, man, you know, Courtney Casey pulled a Medi Baghdad, dude. She rocked her opponent, and then she went for a flying arm bar. <laughs> you know? it, it was one of those situations. So, look, I, yeah. I, I think the line is a, is a little bit wide here. I don't think it should be minus 470 to a plus 375, but the thing with Courtney Casey is, you know, she's big for the weight class. She's aggressive, but she'll do dumb shit, man. You know, you'll put your money on it, and she'll be working Claudia on the feet, and out of nowhere, she jumps for a guillotine and ends up on her back the rest of the round. It's going to be something like that. So, most likely, Claudia by decision, but I'm not going to be surprised one bit if the dog comes through. I just can't take the shot on that kind of fight IQ, man. So, I'm going to have to pass. And, you know, I know Claudia has not the best, 
gas tank in the world. You recall she only has two-round cardio, but she moved to Craig Jackson's, and the reason I think that's good is because, you know, Albuquerque, New Mexico is in altitude, so if she's training in altitude, that'll definitely help out her gas tank. So, yeah, uh, that's what I think about this fight, Sean. You know, I won't do movies. I'll do angle this time. Look, the angle of uh, go to the top, get knocked off, and then lose to somebody you shouldn't is is totally live here. Last week, uh, it worked for Pennington versus Tate. Uh, it almost worked, goddammit, for fucking Stevens and, and, and Frankie. Um, it, don't be surprised if, if shitty Courtney Casey somehow ends up on top and lands thunderous elbows that change the entire temperature of this fight. You know what I'm saying? Don't be surprised if this angle shows up again where this where this girl's thinking, well, you know, I know who's at the top of this division, and, and that person is, has beaten me once and, and then beat the shit out of me once. Uh, where do I have to go? It, it just is. You know what I'm saying? That, that angle just works. It just does. You, you get to the top, you fall back down, you lose to somebody you shouldn't because you, you got to the top and that was it. You know what I'm saying? That's, it's like an artificial like uh it's like an artificial curve for your career you know what i'm saying when there's no place to go up there and you can't go up further then the only thing left is down you know what i mean and and maybe it doesn't work here i'm not taking that shot but i'm not going to fault you for taking that shot the numbers way crazy uh brazil or not brazil so go ahead and take a swing yeah i just don't get why it's minus 470 plus 375 like to me that's you know that's disrespect sucks yeah, I mean, I you mean, know, is Claudia really that good? You know what I mean? N- no, but that's you know what I'm saying. Like that's that's what I'm saying. But it's it's a girl fight. Like, yeah, could Claudia Gadella get on top and just stay there? Fucking sure. You know what I'm saying? Who knows? But you know, it's this angle has happened to people far better than she is, and and beaten by people far worse than Courtney Casey. So, yeah. Yeah, I would not be surprised at all. I don't fault anyone for taking the shot. It's just for me, like I said earlier, man, you know, when you uh, get get thrown by fucking head and arm throws and when you jump for flying arm bars after rocking your opponent, I, I don't. Tr- I, I try not to bet on people like that. So, yeah, but good I'll, idea. I will be rooting for the underdog because, you know, you got to root for the underdog. But next up, we got Tomas Almeida. We got the people's main event. He's minus 330. The comeback on Albert the Warrior Morales is plus 270. Dude, I love this fight so much. I mean, two friends of the show. I mean, Albert Morales, obviously, he's been on the show many times. And Tomas Almeida, I mean, when you fight like Tomas Almeida, you're a friend of the show. I mean, bottom line, I mean, Tomas Almeida is just, I mean, he creates art out there when he, when he gets off on his offense, man. I mean, we'll talk about his defense in a second, but his offense is just... He paints a picture, man. He's an artist, dude. I mean, the flying knees, the body shots, the just if you watch his highlight reel, I mean, you go back and watch all his fights because, you know, he gets to show his heart, but you just watch the highlight reel of all the finishes, and he's finished people in every single way you can knock someone out, dude. Uh, He's just an absolute monster, man, and he's just a creative genius out there, I'd say. Uh, but man, his defense, you know, he does get tagged a lot, not just in his last fight against Cody Garbrandt. I mean, the Brad Pickett fight. Fucking uh, Anthony Burchak fight. Even his debut against uh, Timmy Gorman, he got tagged up a lot, man. And it's, you know, he does have a good chin. It's eventually that chin's going to give out. I know it gave out that last fight. Cody Cody can bang. 
the right punch can put him out. But it's about, you know, with Albert Morales, he is undefeated. And I'll tell you what, he looked a lot better in his UFC debut than a lot of people do in their UFC debuts. And he took on a tough opponent in Alejandro Perez, who's been doing really well in the UFC. And Albert won that fight, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, on the regional scene, he was knocking dudes out in the first round. So I always question what would happen if he went all three. And he did fine when he went all three. But, you know, fighting in Brazil against Tomas Almeida is a tall order. Albert, he, he seems to me like the kind of guy that's not going to be mentally defeated before the fight starts. So if you're going to beat him, you have to finish him. You know what I'm saying? And this is going to be a fist fight. So with with Tomas Almeida's defense, I mean, don't be surprised if he if he goes down. You got to basically favor Almeida based on the experience. I mean, he's what, 22-1 and one versus a guy that's 6-0. and oh. Like, I get that. And it's in Brazil and all that, more experience. But this is a fist fight. They're both going to stand and bang. And don't be surprised if Almeida gets knocked out again. But most likely Almeida wins this fight. But I'll be rooting for Morales here. You know, I, I like Morales. I like him as a fighter. I, I definitely like him on the show. I think he's a cool guy. I think he's into fighting. I think he studies it. Uh, I think he knows that he's got to jump on Almeida early here and get to him when he's when he's most vulnerable, as we've seen time and time again. But unfortunately... Betting-wise, I don't think that Morales is ready for for a test like this. Uh, his punches are, <clears throat> excuse me, his punches are a little too loopy. Uh, he he leaves his chin up when he's swinging, and I think he will come after Almeida. I think that Almeida wants him to. Uh, I skill-wise, striking-wise, I think there's a humongous gap here. We've seen problems with Almeida. We get it. His defense is not good. He's absolutely hittable. His head doesn't move. Um, now he's finishable as we've seen. I don't think it's time to cash in your chips on Almeida yet. I think he's got many years ahead of, of giving and getting severe punishment, um, before he's at the point where we're like, Ooh, maybe he's done now. And, uh, no, not yet. Not yet. Uh, and, and regardless of all that shit, his offense is, is, is for sure top 10 in the fucking sport. I don't know how high top 10, but top 10 in the sport His body punches, double left hook to the body and the head, like, like punch, kick, punch, like the knees, like, oh man, like keeping perfect distance. So you're at the end of the jab and then drilling you with straights over and over again. Like he's no joke offensively. Uh, you've got to jump on him before he's warmed up and you've got to do it effectively and you've got to hit him super hard and you've got to get him out of there. Just dropping him isn't going to do it. So even if Morales get, gets to him early, can Morales get him the fuck out of there? I, I don't think so. I think Almeida's taken enough time. I think he comes back with a fucking vengeance here. I think this is a great fight for him uh, in front of his home crowd. I think he uh, stays safe long enough to warm up and then and put some some devastating offense on Morales and gets him out of there. I got two units on Almeida uh, parlayed with Ledette. That's plus 116. I'm glad you brought up the fact that Almeida's a slow starter because he absolutely is. But man, like you said, when he warms up, I mean, it's just beautiful destruction. And uh, man, that might be what happens here. But Morales is big for the weight class. He comes to fight. He's aggressive. And, you know, he has to put Almeida out early. So, you know, that that's the main event, in my opinion. But they gave us a they gave us a bonus fight, and it was the rematch that no one wanted, but we'll all watch it. And we got Ryan Bader, he's minus 365, the comeback on Lil Nog. 
Antonio Hogerio Noguera is plus 305. And, uh, I mean, most likely, Bader's going to wrestle his way to a decision. But how cool would it be if Noguera went out there and knocked him out, Sean? I mean, I, I would love that. And, you know, I'm super on the, you know, this fence or this fight blows. I'm super on the fence about that over. Like, oh, it's right there staring at me, and I want to bet it so bad. I think it's still plus. Is it still plus money? Do you know off the top of your head? No? All right. Um, I would love to bet yeah, that. Yeah, the under one, is, under one and a half is plus 175. Over one and a half is minus 210. Oh. Oh, it opened much differently. Or no, maybe it didn't. Maybe I was going to parlay it with something. Anyway, I didn't use that. I should have used that. I You should use that. Um, I just ran out of partners for it. I, I The worry, the thing that, that, that kept me off of it is not Bader knocking out Little Nog. It's Little Nog knocking out Bader. That's, the, that's the, the worry that jumped to my mind. I don't know why it's that because it should be Bader knocking him out, but I don't know. I, I don't see it. Uh, Bader not not a finisher, man. It, like it, it, the Perosh fight. Oh Jesus! It, if I don't know how you don't finish that fight, but he did not. Indeed, broken hands or I don't care. Broken hit two broken hands to do whatever to elbow his body or something. You're like he was just a little defenseless like newborn in front of you for the majority of that fight. Um, you know, Little Nog is old and super stiff and they've got to like, they've got to like crack his coffin open and, and, and pull him out of there every time they want him to fight. And, you know, he's out of the coffin for this one. He's, he's standing up in Brazil. You know, he's like, he's like weakened at Bernie's like his corner men are holding them up and shit, but you give him a little time to warm up and, and throw straight punches at you. And, and Bader's been stopped by fucking Tito Ortiz. It's definitely possible. He got man. dropped his last fight possible. too. Yeah, like, it's not out of the question that Little Nog wins this fight. The most interesting play in this fight is is that over, especially at, at one and a half, at two and a half, I wouldn't touch it, but at, at one and a half, oh, it's fucking calling me, but uh, no partners. Um, I like Bader to, to wrestle his way to a decision as well, uh, or, or perhaps a late submission because, like, Little Nog has no flexibility left in his limbs, you know what I'm saying? You can, like like halfway Kimura him, you know what I'm saying? Like, like if Khabib, the Khabib Kimura on Michael Johnson, like that would have ripped little Nog's arm clean off. Like his arm doesn't bend at all anymore. So if you just grab it and tweak it a little bit, it's, it's over. So there's that. Um, yeah, Bader, but I'll be rooting for a little Nog. Definitely. So before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So let's do it for both cards, man. So, for UFC Belfast, the fight to watch, what is it, Sean? The fight to watch is absolutely Siri versus McCall. Like, if the guy that I'm pulling for wins, I'll be fucking super excited. If he doesn't, I know there will be a, a great, exciting fight. I don't expect wrestling. I expect stand-up. I expect a crazy crowd. I expect back and forth. Uh, and I expect a close decision. And, and that amounts to a lot of fun. And a nice send-off for Neil Siri, a kind of guy that we need more of in the sport. He's like a super gritty journeyman who always puts forth a, a super honest effort. Uh, we like those guys. We don't need to cut those guys. We need to keep those guys to test our young guys 
and you know and and occasionally put a put a old broken name like like McCall out to pasture like that's going to happen Saturday so watch that fight it's going to be a fun one my fight to watch is Magomed Mustafaev versus Kevin Lee I mean this fight's going to tell us a lot about where both of these guys are at in the UFC lightweight division I mean obviously with Kevin Lee he's had a lot of promise but a couple setbacks and you know, I want to know what this kid's all about, and we're going to find out Saturday night because Magomed Mustafaev, uh, master of sport and striking, you know what I'm saying, Sean? And uh, he can knock dudes out, and uh, would you be surprised if he knocked Kevin Lee out? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if anybody did anything to Kevin Lee because Kevin Lee will, will stand there and go, this ain't happening to me. <laughs> no, I'm fine. Oh, no, I twisted my ankle. What are you talking about? I didn't even get hit. Yeah, okay, dude. All right. Go for it. It was an early stoppage. But, uh, yeah, that, that's my fight to watch, man. I'm just so curious about it. I want to sit back and enjoy that one because it's going to tell me a lot about where both these dudes are. Now, Sean, who is the fighter to watch for UFC Belfast? Oh, just for Belfast? Yeah. Musashi, motherfucker. Like, the dark horse of the division, the guy who shouldn't be – the guy who shouldn't be saying, yeah, if I beat this guy and this guy, maybe I could get a title shot. He's the guy who should be going, look, I can kill everybody. I can beat anybody that you put in front of me. I want the title shot now. I'm old. Let's go. He's not doing that, but he's proving it. He's showing it. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's doing things that you should do, like disposing of Vitor Belfort. Don't fight close with Vitor Belfort at this point in your career. You know what I'm saying? Like, Take a shot from him, shrug it off, give him the Matumbo finger, and then line him up against the fence and hit him with an 87-punch fucking Tekken combo. That's what you want to do. That's what Masashi does. Masashi's got a little bone to pick, and I think it's going to be a slow, torturous bone, but it's, it's going to be a bone with no meat on it left. My fighter to watch is Uriah Hall. I mean, we're all picking against him. He's a plus 450 underdog. And, I mean, if he can go out there and defeat Gegard Mousasi again, I mean, he'll fuck up everyone's plans. And, uh, man, I'm just curious, so interested in this matchup. I mean, he's coming off two losses. Three in a row is never good. So let's see what he brings into this fight, man. I mean, let's see if he's a live underdog here or if uh, Gegard's going to do what everyone says he would do nine out of ten times. I'm very curious about that. Now we got to talk about the fighter to watch and the fight to watch for UFC Sao Paulo. So, Sean, what's the fight to watch, man? Oh, fight to watch. You do fight to watch. I got fighter to watch, but I haven't thought of fight to watch. You do. I mean, the fight to watch is obviously Tomas Almeida versus Albert Morales. Anytime Tomas Almeida fights, I mean, you can guarantee violence. I mean, he's the kind of fighter that you call your friends over and you're like, look, this is the sport I love and this is why. Guys like Tomas Almeida, I mean, what, 22-1 and one with 21 finishes? You know what I'm saying, Sean? And he's fighting a dude that comes to fight. It's not like he's fighting some boring wrestler that wants to hump his leg and grind out the clock. I mean, Albert's willing to go out on a shield here, man, and I know Tomas is too. That is your fight to watch for UFC Sao Paulo. That's the people's main event. Uh, okay, my fight to watch will be Munoz and Scoggins because I, I think there's going to be a good clash of styles. I think you're going to see, uh, you know, Scoggins, uh, talented, you know, mental problems, but, but no pushover. He's got a real tough guy in front of him, a real dangerous guy who can finish in multiple ways. I think this fight goes back and forth. I think even when it hits the ground, 
Uh, it's not going to get slow because there's there's so much danger there. Um, I, this should be an exciting fight for sure, regardless of who wins. And my fighter to watch for UFC Sao Paulo is Christoph Jocko. Look, last time he fought, he was also my fighter to watch, man. I mean, all eyes are on Jocko, man. I've said for a long time, this is the number one prospect in the UFC 185-pound division. And, I mean, I want to see what he's all about. This is a big step up. Talos Latis comes to fight. He's experienced. He went the full five-round distance with the champion, Michael Bisbing. He went the distance with Musasi. He went the distance with Anderson Silva. I mean, he's been there. He's done that, man. And, uh, you know, he's solid. He's good everywhere. This is a good test for Jocko. Let's see what he's all about, man. He is your fighter to watch for UFC Sao Paulo. I'm going to go with Almeida for fighter to watch. I think he brings back uh, the excitement and the violence and the pinpoint accuracy and, and the, the wow that we're waiting for. Uh, I think he brings it back with a vengeance Saturday night. I think in front of his home crowd, he shows up. He, he fights through whatever adversity uh, Morales can bring, which is also dangerous in his own right. But uh, Almeida, skill-wise, head and shoulders above, and eventually – ends up teeing off with, with something pretty. Any thoughts on uh, Kovalev versus Ward? Oh, I'm so I'm so far uh, I'm so far gone on the on the boxing. I think you know Kovalev is like you know kind of like a a Medoff. He's he's like a a big robot who does technical things really well, nice straight punches, super hard jab. Uh, hard to hurt, just you know, just a straightforward, mean son of a bitch. Um, but Andre Ward, you know, Andre Ward is super special. The problem with him, he's not special in a fun way, right? He's special in a a leaping left hook to hold you to punch you after the break uh, repeatedly for three minutes, kind of way. And it and I love seeing guys who do things just to frustrate you. Well, Sean, let them know where to follow you, man. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Sean Carey Tattoo. On Instagram, I'm Sean Carey Tattoo. Um, now my bets are, uh, you know, I'll post them on my Twitter, but we'll be talking about them exclusively on, on Half the Battle. So catch me at all those places. Yes, sir. For all the fans, thank you guys so much. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Keep hooking up the five-star reviews, the retweets. It is very appreciated. Follow me on Twitter at BestFightPicks. Go to BestFightPicks.com for the plays. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.